Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, now and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. Sit down. We have now come to the, is it the fifth talk, I think, on Elder Porfirios. The first one was his early life. The second one was his life as a spiritual father. The third one was encounters. The fourth one was, that was last month's, which is at the back now, which is his advice to parents on children. It seemed that that talk a lot was on that. That's four. And the, we've come now to the fifth one. Now, it can be said that maybe, you know, how much can you do on just one elder? Usually when someone does a talk, they might do one talk, maybe two at the maximum. But we're just, we're just going on and on and on. But I ask around, because as a teacher, always you must see the response of the people. I mean, it's good that you sit there in silence and, um, uh, and listen, but it's also good to hear what people have got to say. So I ask a lot of times people, whether in person or if they telephone, and the answer is pretty much standard, which is you just you can't get enough of this saint because, as we've said before, that this saint is one of the greatest saints that Greece has produced, and they said that such saints are not produced in Greece every 100 or 200 years, something like that. When he becomes canonised, I think that they want to refer to him as something to do with love, because his love was so great. When we read the life of Elder Porfirios and read his teachings and listen to talks on it, one can't help seeing that truly this is the gospel in practice, because we can all read the gospel, and they're available here, whoever wants them for free. So, yeah, the, yeah, the New Testament. And a lot of people read this. The, read the, um, the New Testament, but unfortunately they go astray and become confused. Now in the Protestant church that confusion is well out of control, but we don't, we're, not, we're not here to talk about them. They're in God's hands, we leave them to God. Not, that's not our business, I'm just saying a little fact, but not being judgmental. Painful, yes, but not judgmental. Then we have the Catholics that also read this, and from their interpretation of the gospel is that the Pope is the head of the church and without the Pope there is no church. And um, that's their interpretation, even though our Holy Fathers say differently that when Christ said to Peter, you are the, you are the rock, he meant the rock of confession, which is that Christ is God, but they take it as being that he was referring to Peter as being the head of the church forever. So that's one fallacy as well as many other things that they say wrong. Uh, then we come to the Orthodox Church. And even within the Orthodox Church, we have all different uh, interpreters, not as bad. But it's not as bad because we have the Holy Fathers. But even people who read the Holy Fathers at times get confused. And that's why we have so much, uh, so many schisms today and all these different groups within the official church, those who have left the official church. 
But the problem is, if I may say, is that we lack examples of people who live the gospel, whose life is the gospel. And by looking at those people, we understand the gospel. And because these holy people are very lacking today in the world due to sin, people get confused with the real teaching of the gospel. That's why I'm, on purpose I'm actually doing this life because we have so much material on this elder. And this elder is the gospel in practice. When you read about the life of Elder Porfirios, anything you hear about Elder Porfirios, it makes the Gospels, it makes the, the New Testament all make sense. So when we read the Gospel without lives of saints, not just modern ones and the ancient ones and the older ones, without the Holy Father's explanations, we need them all. So it's like food. You just can't eat one type of food. So with the um, spiritual food, it's the same thing. You just can't have one part of the spiritual food, whether it's just the Gospels or just the Holy Fathers or just going to church or just coming to talks or, or, or. we need, just like those, or, or these nutritionists say, we need the five groups. Well, we need also, I don't know how many groups there are, but within the church there are also these food groups, spiritual food groups. St. John Christum actually even says, whoever doesn't read the lives of saints cannot be saved. And yet there are many of you who don't read the lives of saints. And I wonder to myself, well, if you knew, I understand that. But people that have been in the church for many years and do not read the lives of saints are really putting themselves in some type of danger, spiritual danger. Others just like to read intellectual books of some university people and things like that. They've got some good things there. But orthodoxy is lies of saints. Orthodoxy is the writing of the Holy Fathers. Orthodoxy is looking at the lives of the elders, etc., etc. We have so much holy, and we have Holy Communion and prayer and coming to, and confession and the holy water service like we did today, and other prayers for the sick, unction, paraclesis, the mother of, to the mother of God and all the saints. We have all our orthodox services. All these are food. If you have only one or two types of food, you're going to fall in danger, and you're going to lose yourselves. And that is why I'm emphasising this part of the, um, of the elder, because the elder actually talks about the mysteries of the church, he talks about repentance and confession, he talks about the church services, he talks about Holy Communion, he talks about the way that people should live today, etc., etc. So we have a great spread. So I'm not going to just sit here and do one aspect of church life. I like to give enough different types of food so, every, so no one will starve and get sick. As, you, as I said, if you eat one type of food, you're going to get sick. If you eat too much of one food, you're going to get sick. The same thing is you have too much of one aspect of orthodoxy, you will become sick spiritually, mentally, etc. Now, with Elder Porfirios, um, today I thought 
and we hope that God blesses that uh, intention, that I, well, my intention anyway, which is to go through some examples of people that were helped, but also people that weren't helped. Because a lot of times, sometimes the way these books are written, unfortunately, they have a lot of examples of people that were helped, but hardly no examples of people that weren't helped. So we have this idea that everyone who goes to the elders or goes to a spirit, to a holy person, receives help. But we will see today that not everyone receives help. Now, what's the purpose of that? Why am I going to go through that? Because we have to see their bad example, but not in a judgmental way to say that we're better. We have to look at their bad example and not imitate that bad example in the way we approach our priests, the way we approach monastics, the way we approach even the holy books, because we can also approach the holy books, the holy fathers, even the lives of saints in an inappropriate way, which can do damage to us. So let's look at, their, let's look at those examples. A little nun, this is the older speaking, and a little nun came to me who had a growth on her hand that was the size and shape of a walnut. So when she showed it to me, I said, let us go see the professor. Him, obviously, he was at the hospital. Remember that the elder for many years, I think around 30 years, actually was the, uh, the chaplain, the, the priest of the hospital. It was during the time that I was serving at the, in the polyclinic. I did, not come to see, I did not come to see the professor, said the nun. I came to see you. I made the sign of the cross on her forehead, on her hand, and sent her back to her monastery. She became well. Another lady came to confession. While she was confessing, I discerned with the eyes of my soul that she had breast cancer. So with the enlightenment that God had given him, and we've emphasised this in the first talks, God gave him this gift because he was humble. Because all of us, when we read, whether we read Superman, whether we read something of um, some pop singer, the the younger kids, Whatever we read, even women that are even in this room that read their magazines and read about some woman who's got a nice body, etc., and everyone becomes inspired and wants to imitate. So whatever we read, especially if we read a lot of it, we become in a way brainwashed and we begin to kind of focus on that. And when someone reads a lot on one part of the church, say, for example, even just the elders, but reads a lot, but not in a good way, they can start to fall into delusion and say, I want to acquire this gift. Maybe I've got this gift. And what happens then? The devil comes along and then he begins to play around with your thoughts and our thoughts are really open to being played around with because our minds are weak from television because we sit there and we're brainwashed and they feed us whatever they want and we don't have the the way to to discern what's right, what's wrong. So our minds are open. So a lot of us who actually went through a lot of TV and still do, some of you, your minds are actually more prone, more open to deception in a really bad way. You know, some people say, well, what, are we going to stop watching TV? That's your business, what you do. But what I want to tell you is the following. If you do watch a lot of it, 
or watch it and, and your minds are open to this fantasy, which you don't even know is going on, then be careful when you start entering into the Orthodox Church, into spiritual life, because the demons latch on to minds that are weak and full of fantasy. See, our saints fought for decades when they struggled, whether in monasteries, in the deserts, etc., or whatever life they, they, they had, the one thing that they specially fought against was their fantasy because it was through the fantasy that the devil would take control of them and make them believe that they're special or fall into pride, etc. So let's be um, honest with ourselves and, and let's say that just about everyone in this room has been affected, including myself. And because we are affected, we have to be really careful because our minds run, run. Whatever we read, whatever we do, and it's just like sometimes even as a, as a spiritual father that I've got to deal with people, got to deal with my own fantasy, but also got to deal with people that come and it's like whatever they read, their minds begin to fly and they begin to have all these things that don't even make sense. Actually, our saints say that the more the mind has fantasy, the more sick we are. And in a way, a lot of mental illness today is as a result of fantasy. So while reading these things, as I said, we might become inspired and say, oh, I'd like to have these thoughts. And then the devil comes along, as I said, and puts a few thoughts into our minds so we can get things right. And we, we, we read that in the lives of saints, that the devil can put thoughts in our minds and to guess something of someone else. And then when we get it right, then we think we've got power. And once we go into that pride, which we're, well, we already have a lot of it, but then it becomes worse, then after that he can do whatever he wants with you. And as we read in the lives of saints, how many monks that fell into this pride, into this delusion, jumped off cliffs, committed suicide fell into demonic possession and other things like that. So we have to be humble when we approach anything in the church. Now, some of you might say, you always say humble, 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 and, but what is this humble? What is humility? Some of you who read a lot will say, I know what humility is in your minds. But to know what humility is, we have to know it within our hearts. And we, we understand humility when we see ourselves. When we see ourselves that we've fallen, that we fall into sins, when we really see ourselves as sinful, then we are already on the first steps of humility. Now, there are people who actually find it really difficult to say, I'm sinful or I'm bad, because they have been brainwashed either from their parents or themselves or whatever, to believe that they're fantastic, that they're really good, and they find it really hard to say that they're bad. Those people are in danger. If it's me or you or whatever, whoever doesn't feel their sins is in danger. If you feel your sins, then you're on the path to salvation as long as you haven't got hopelessness because then you become like Judas where you become, uh, where you have a demonic type of unrepentance and say, oh, what's the point? God's not going to forgive me. Well, that's, that's bad as well. But sins are the way we become humble. Not that we sin on purpose, as St. Paul says, but through our struggle, we will fall. 
And we've said this before, we will fall. A conscious Orthodox Christian will be aware that he or she is falling continually. But not only that, you begin to notice that your soul is not in the right place. And hence what St. David says in the Psalms, renew a right spirit within me. St. David would pray, even though he was such a holy person, renew a right spirit within me. Like, give me the correct spirit. Give me the right spirit to know how to love everyone, how not to judge people, how to look at things, how to look at myself. We, we, don't, we, we, we lack faith, we lack love, we lack hope, we have so many delusions. So we always pray to God, renew a right spirit within me. And that's what um, Elder Porphyrios would, would do, and that's why he was given such enlightenment. So be careful when you're entering into spiritual life. Even I, when I read these books, I've got to be very, very careful because as I'm reading and it says, and this and that and that, and the elder was enlightened, enlightened, enlightened. So we all are open, including myself, to deception. And we have to remind ourselves and pray to God continually not to let us fall into deception. Worse is the person who's spiritual and deceived than a person who is cold. Remember what Christ says in the, um, in the Revelations, the, the last book of the New Testament? Better to be cold or hot, but the lukewarm will be thrown out, and the lukewarm a lot of times, then, there's two definitions for that, but obviously there's, there's those who are just slack and come to church a little bit and don't care, but there's also the lukewarm in the sense that their, their spiritual attitude is completely wrong, and they're not really with God. And that's a lot of people today. And hence why these talks really, people find them hard to tolerate because of this type of uh, message that I try to put across. Actually, even one priest once, not, not here, years ago, uh, was present at a church that I did a sermon. And then he ran, he ran to the uh, bishop to say, oh, he spoke about the demons in church and the people with mental illnesses are going to get sick. Like a little tittle-tale. And the bishop said to me, oh, you know, what's, what, what's happening then? I said, well, I mean, that's the case. What we should do is when we read the gospel, we should do the following. At that time when Jesus was going to the hill, whatever, he met a man who had beep. Because we can't say the word, you see. And Christ expelled the beep. So we're going to rewrite the Bible to make this priest happy because he believes in psychology, you see. And psychology does not mix very well with orthodox spirituality because very simple. Most psychologists don't believe in souls. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in spirits. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe in evil spirits. They don't believe in anything. It's just a raw discipline. So let us be careful of all that. So another lady came to confession. While she was confessing, I saw with my spiritual eyes, then I put a little bracket, I'll put this in, because he was humble and we're not. Um, but you know what? I've often said to mothers and fathers that have children, I've said, When you acknowledge that you, are, you find it hard to bring up your children, when you acknowledge to God 
and say, God, I cannot bring up the children. It's just so hard. You acknowledge your weakness, but really believe that you don't know how to bring up the children. It's very hard, which it is. God, seeing such humility, will give discernment to that parent who's in despair and is in real desperate to get help, will give that parent discernment to see things about their children in a way similar to an enlightened spiritual father. But you say, but how? Because the woman's offering her humility for the father and saying, I don't know how to bring up the children. I don't know what to do. Do you discipline for that? Do you not discipline for that? Do you do this? Do you do that? Do you praise? You don't praise. What do you do? And a lot of times... Parents are really desperate for answers. And then when they read books, they can sometimes become even confused and try to apply it, not knowing that the advice that an elder gave to a mother about a certain child was specifically for that child, not necessarily for their child. So that becomes more confusing. So I've seen parents who, with humility, true humility, ask God for discernment, and God gives them discernment such that they can see things that is remarkable how they actually even were enlightened because God enlightens them. Why wouldn't he? If we ask, for example, for enlightenment on what, on what um, um, investments to make to make money, depends, you might get enlightened. We saw the elder even gave advice sometimes on certain things like that. But what's most important to God? The most important thing is the salvation of our souls, obviously, and the upbringing of children. And whatever a person asks about their children, if it's with humility, not that they ask God for enlightenment and then they saw something in the child and they go around and tell people and say, I saw and I knew this and I knew that. Then later on, God won't give because you're using it for pride. The elder, whenever he used his gift, never got pride out of it. So there's no reason why parents cannot pray. And, of course, you ask your priests. But you haven't got a priest there living with you all the time. So obviously you have to be praying for God, but with a heart that truly believes that you don't know hardly if, if at all much at all. And a good spiritual father does the same thing. Because in, in, in essence, when someone comes to a spiritual father for confession, what does he know, really, when you look at it? He might know a bit about the person. But how does he know? Really a lot. And sometimes when there's new people, he might not know anything about them. But people say to me, including spiritual fathers, say, oh, just, it just came to me. It just came to me and I gave this advice and it was the exact advice, but I never knew. Or a person would say, when I went to confess to a spiritual father and then all of a sudden he said to me certain things which I was surprised because I never told him that. And what does that come from? It's two-way. One is the faith of the person coming to the spiritual father and second is the faith and the humility of the spiritual father praying to God beforehand and saying, God, I don't know. I don't know. Give me, give me the enlightenment to know what to say. Give me the enlightenment to be able to guide this person. And by the way, even if someone comes to a person who's really holy, 
holy as. But that person that lacks faith, that person is proud, unrepentant, doesn't, doesn't have much humility at all, doesn't matter how holy the spiritual father is, a lot of times exceptional, that God will not enlighten the holy person to tell you anything. So a lot of it really says, that, well, I'll tell you this, this saying and then you'll understand. Why are there not many spiritual fathers today in the world, really good spiritual fathers? Why aren't there many? And the answer is because there's not many good spiritual children. If we don't have many good spiritual fathers in Australia, it's because there are not many good spiritual children. Spiritual children who have faith and, and some humility to come to the spiritual father and listen to the spiritual father and receive advice. I'll give you an example, if I may say, even of myself, just a small example, not necessarily even for confession. As I said, I avoid that. But even if someone asks me advice, And the person is, say a person rings or comes to me and asks for advice. I've noticed that at times when the person's asking for advice that it's, when the person leaves, it's like I've communed. It's like something's happened. It's like there has been this, this, um, this grace present. And it's like for me personally, it's like I've communed. It's like there's something special going on. And then I kind of think of what's going on, what's going on, and then I realise it was the faith of the person coming to me, which I, if, if I may say so, very rare. Because a lot of people, when they come, don't come with the right spirit. They don't ask with the right spirit. But when they ask with the correct spirit, even someone with myself, with all my passions, I'm not saying that out of humility, get to know me and you'll see, that um, even someone who has, like, who's not necessarily a holy person but is God's priest and a person comes with faith. And Christ shows us the example whereby he didn't help all that came to him because of their lack of faith. Remember when he went to some place and he says he did not many miracles there because of their lack of faith. But he's God. But he didn't force, the, force it on because they weren't worthy. They didn't want it. They didn't want him. So that's just an example. When we go to spiritual fathers and we get, and we say sometimes, oh, we didn't, I didn't get good advice or whatever, the whole thing blew up. It didn't work out well. There was friction. There was hostility or something going on because spiritual fathers can react sometimes as humans. But you know why? A lot of times it's because the spiritual child that's approaching is approaching in the wrong spirit. And that's why we don't willy-nilly, as it says, just go up and say, oh, I'm going, now I'm going to go to Kentucky Fried or KFC, whatever they call it now, and after that I'm going to go to the spiritual father, and after that I'm going to go and watch videos at my friends. Right? It's like it's, like, it's just part of your recreation. And even though that's exaggerated, some people do do that, but even older people do things like that, and that's not right. When we go to our spiritual father, we must pray beforehand, help me to repent. 
help me to say my sins. Because a lot of times when we go there, our minds become clouded and we don't want to say. We hide. We walk out and become all terrorised because we didn't open up everything. Because we never prayed beforehand to ask God to help us to say our sins. We also pray to help us to have real pain, to help us have a true spirit of repentance. Also, we pray that God enlightened the spiritual father to give us the right advice. Not automatic that we believe that because we've gone, it's going to happen automatic, like you put money in a machine to get a drink, which is our mentality. We have to do work beforehand. Get in the mood. Just read some spiritual books. If you have to, even do a bit of fasting and some prayer, preparation, not just go willy-nilly, which means just like that, as if it's a part of your just a everyday thing. Anyway, that just came. So we go on now and we say that another lady came to confession while she was confessing, I discerned with my eyes of my soul that she had breast cancer. Are you well, I asked her. He didn't, first he, he didn't say to her. You have something. Yes, Father, I am ashamed to say it. So the, this woman was ashamed to say that she's got cancer of the breast. Go upstairs now and see this particular doctor and have him examine you, then return to me to tell me what he said. When she returned, she in fact had cancer. They sent her for examinations, and in three days she was going to be operated on. So when she returned, I had, I had her kneel with me. So when she returned from the doctor, Father Porfirio said, let us now pray together. You say within yourself the Jesus prayer, I told her, and I, and, and I said the prayer. The elder. Afterwards, I made the sign of the cross over her and sent her to do whatever the doctors said. Now, remember, sometimes the, we get better when we go to church and get the priest to read prayers. Sometimes we don't. But in general, we must go the humble way, which is the doctors. And that's why the elder often said, go to the doctors, like we see now. Some people that are too spiritual, they go, well, I'm not going to go to the doctors because I'm spiritual. I have wings. Why would I go to the doctor? I will pray to God and he will make me better. See, this is like satanic pride. We go to the doctors, we do our duty, but at the same time we also pray to God that he will heal us through the doctors, through the church. So see, he prayed for her. He prayed with her. He said to her, you say the Jesus prayer and do whatever the doctors say. Sometimes he did make them well. So there are those things as well. But in general, we as Orthodox Christians should go the humble way, the normal way. In three days when she returned for the operation, she was found well. There was no tumour or anything else. The doctor came down to the chapel to find me and he was quite beside himself. And he said, my beloved priest, what did you do to that woman that you made her well? If I had not touched the tumour with my own hand and had not seen it with my eyes three days ago, I would not believe it. The elder continued, my eyes see many things. My eyes, which eyes? Spiritual eyes, because we've got eyes as well. It doesn't mean we, we can see much. Uh, the grace of God acts on behalf of the faith of the people. Isn't that wonderful? 
on behalf of the faith of the people. Oh, that priest can't even help me. And we never blame ourselves. It's just, oh, that priest didn't help us. Oh, that priest read me the prayer and nothing happened. But did you examine your satanic pride when you came to the priest? You must believe, I forgot to beep that word. You must believe that miracles also happen today because Christ is the same yesterday, today, and onto the ages of ages. Another person, a childless lady who had gone through many miscarriages, was pregnant again. Now, a woman who's, who's experienced this is really, it's, it's very difficult when, a, when you know, a couple wants to get, um, wants to have a baby. Of course, today in these modern times, it's just the woman, sometimes a woman who just wants a baby. And she, then she gets her, um, um, then she um, goes on the internet and checks out on the internet what she wants, a blonde baby, a blue-eyed baby, and this and that, and then gets the sperm sent over by freight, etc., etc., and becomes pregnant, but without a man. And who the man is, she doesn't know. That's the modern, that, that, that's the modern things, but we can sit down and talk about them, but that doesn't interest me. Why? Because Orthodox Christians don't do that. So why then sit down and talk about it? Do we judge them? We can judge the act, but remember, a lot of those people are spiritually blind, now, some of you might say, but still, isn't that bad? Isn't that bad? Isn't it? Of course it's bad. What do you want me to say? Uh, some people say, I want you to say that she's bad for doing it. Right? And my answer to that is the following. Because a lot of us, we see things on the TV, we hear things on the news, there's just so much going on. They really have gone, these scientists and things, they've gone beyond like there was an example, I think, on 60 Minutes the other day of um, surrogates and like um, the, the, um, the, the sperm of a male and then the eggs of a woman and they go into another woman that she becomes a surrogate. And what's, what's going to happen to those children? Okay, so we see all those things. How do we look at it? Do we look at it with anger? We can be angry at the sin, yes, we can be angry at the devil for causing a lot of these things, yes. Do we be angry at the people? Well, we don't know what's in each person and we don't know what's going on in the soul of a person. We don't know exactly what's happening. But I'll tell you what the saints used to do in such similar situations. The saints would be too busy looking at themselves to actually be worried because they were too worried that they're not going to be saved, you see. The more we see our sins, the more we say, am I going to be saved? See, that's, a, that's healthy. Am I going to be saved? I'm falling all the time. I've got, I don't have love. I don't even have proper repentance. I don't have humility. I'm proud as a dog. When, we, when we're looking at ourselves in that way, how then do we have any room or energy in our hearts to look at others? You see, that's the secret. But a lot of times, the devil wants us to look at everyone else but ourselves. And there are some orthodox groups that actually do that. And they say, I remember once years ago, some people did a talk in Melbourne. In, um, and they actually, uh, the whole talk was about every single satanic thing which exists in the world. Now, to me, that's boring, fruitless, and ridiculous. Because 
If we want these satanic things to stop, then we do that by, as St. Seraphim says, by us becoming holy. The more we become holy, the more God listens to our prayers and the more he enlightens the world. I'll give an example. I'm going to say a statement and you're going to get shocked. Many times I believe that I have been the cause of great big catastrophes, of children being killed, of couples divorcing, of children falling, of people falling to drugs, etc., etc. I believe I'm responsible for a lot of those things. And how? I read this once many, many years ago. I think I was a lay person at the time, and it really, really uh, affected me. And it was as follows. It said that there was this very, there was a spiritual man, Russian, and he used to write a lot of books. I forgot actually his name, but anyway. But he, um, he said that a woman had just killed her child somewhere in the city. I think it was New York, say. And he said, how do I know that it wasn't my sins, whatever sins, that tipped over the evil in the world. Because when we sin, we all add evil to the world. When we do good, we add and we bring down God's grace to the world. So that's what Elder Paisius, if you remember in talk 15, I think, where he actually says that he feels that he was responsible for uh, a couple divorcing in um, Athens at the time or something like that because our sins even if it's just a small sin even if it's just a bad thought even if it's just because we judge someone our sins add to the sin of the world which cause people other people to sin to commit crimes etc when we know that we change our whole attitude to, oh, there's so much crime. Oh, there's so much drugs. Oh, there's so much evil. Oh, there's just sex everywhere. Oh, this, that, that, that. And that's what people talk about, including priests. But when we understand that we as Orthodox Christians will give more word than those people because we know. And I read the other day, um, I finally found that example, in the complete example, which I've read to you many times. Elder Paisius gives this example where he says um, there was a man who used to remember the example of the man who used to kill, say, 10 people a day because that's how he was conditioned from young. He used to murder 10 people a day and then he made a, an effort for his, for his soul and he only killed five people one day. Then there was another person who was brought up in the church, who was in the church, or converted to the church. The main thing is that that person was in the church and had the um, capability of doing good things. And that person did 10 good deeds. But he had the potential to do 20, but he didn't because he was lazy, slack, etc. In God's eyes, who's better? See, this is mathematics now. Let's look. We've got... A person does 10 good things, 
but he can do 20, but he still at least he did 10. This is where your blackboards are good. Then we go over to this side, and we have a person who has the potential to do 10 evil acts, but, he, but then he struggles and does five. So he, he still killed five people. And this person still did 10 good things. Who's better in God's eyes? And the elder says, this person's better because this person who had the potential to do 10 did the five. He struggled to do the five. He struggled. That's what God looks at, the struggle. While this person did 10 good things, but he had the potential to do 20. He didn't do it. So in God's eyes, this person's better. Now, when you hear that, what does that make us do? Zip up. What does that mean? It means we should shut our mouths. When we hear those examples, how do we know how we're going to be judged at the end? I like to give out books. That's a good deed. I like to give out books. Give out books, give out books, make available books. But I like to give out things. How can I sit there and go, oh, God's going to save me because I do that? Well, yes, I do, but maybe I could do that much more, but I don't do it. Why? I'm lazy, I'm complacent, which means I just feel satisfied with what I'm doing. When we look at those things, we don't look at prostitutes, we don't look at the gays, we don't look at um, the women who give their bodies to become surrogates. We don't look at all these things. Because we're too busy being worried about ourselves. Now, that is what's called the correct spiritual attitude which we lack. If we absorb that attitude, if we acquire that attitude, then we are heading towards salvation. Because that's how the saints used to feel. That's why Elder Porfirios, he did many, many miracles. But why did he still have that humility? Well, apart from seeing his own absence, like things lacking within himself, because if he had that much love, in his mind he can say, but why don't I love more? Because love is endless. So he would put himself down and say, I wish I could love more. I wish I could do more. Let's change our attitudes and we will see that. And that's why I don't sit down and talk about all those things, about now they're going to pass these things about gay marriages, or they're going to do, you know, they've passed um, to legalise abortion in, I think, Melbourne, I think, I'm not sure. I think it was illegal there. I don't even know. But something along those lines. And people say, but aren't you terrorised? Aren't you upset with it? I'm upset that people are being influenced that don't know, but I don't become angry at the people that are doing it because I know more, and because I know more, God's going to ask me more than what he's going to ask of them, even if that person gave her body ten, for ten children to let herself become pregnant with ten of other children, and just so she can make, have money, which a lot of times is to feed their family, but anyway, that's a, a thing, but still it's wrong. Well, why should I, why should I condemn her when I'm the one who knows more, remember what does Christ say? The more you know, the more you'll be punished. The more you know, the more you'll be punished. So we as Orthodox Christians know more. We will be punished more if we do not do the right thing. While the others that don't know much will be judged less 
And if they don't even know the law of God because of whatever reason, then they, I don't know how they're going to be judged. But remember what it said today in the gospel that I read? I've not seen such faith even in Israel when Christ was referring to the centurion who was a pagan who said to him, come to my house to make my servant better. And Christ, and Christ says, I will come. And he says, no, I'm not worthy for you to come. But I know you have authority and whatever you say you can do, even from here you can make my servant better. And he says, I'm a, I'm a centurion, I'm, a, I'm the head of a, of a regiment of army and whatever I say people do. So if I've got the power to do that, how much more you, with the power that you have, he acknowledged him, not necessarily as saviour, but acknowledged him as something special, something great. And he said to him, which is still a, which is still a good beginning, and said to him, I'm not worthy for you, for you to come to my house. Just say the word and he'll get better. And at that moment, because of his faith, even though he was a pagan, his servant became better and Christ said those frightening words, I have not found such faith even in Israel. I have not found such faith even of those who, who supposedly worship God in the correct way because the Jews had the true religion at the time. The same today. We as Orthodox have the truth. Yes. We have the truth. Historically, that's correct. But also, like we read the other week where that Catholic monk, I think the elder told him something about his um, monastery in Italy, and he goes, oh, I've never seen such a thing in our church, in the Catholic church. And he goes, this gift is given only to us Orthodox that's true. They don't have elders because they lack because they lack the truth of the orthodox faith, the dogmas, because they lack that, they lack the fullness of the gifts of the Holy Spirit which are given to the orthodox. So therefore, we have the true faith. Yes. But why don't we act like other fanatics? Why don't we do that? Even as some people do do that, oh, we're orthodox, we've got the truth, and have a pride about it. Why don't I cultivate that? Because we don't want to hear those fearful words. I have not seen such faith. Even amongst those who are not orthodox, there are people out there who are not orthodox who have more faith than the orthodox. In other words, what word are we going to give when we have everything in front of us. We have the mysteries of the church, we have the saints, we have the teachings of the church, we have everything and yet we are slack. So what word are we going to give? So therefore when we know that and we should sit there trembling, why should I look at whether someone's Catholic or Buddhist or Jehovah or whatever else they are? Fix, if I fix myself up, I can pray for those people and as we read last week, that prayer can change thousands of people. But, if, but how can we be praying if we're too busy watching things on television and doing worldly things? The, the mind can't pray like that. So that's a bit of scolding, which we need, all of us, including myself. As a priest, and all priests do miracles continually. One blessing from a priest, a prayer read by a priest, can make people well. We see miracles all the time. How come 
that does not give the priests, or even myself, why don't that, that give us pride and say, oh, I, I, a person came to me, for example, this has happened before, um, many years ago, a couple came to me and said, oh, we, haven't, we can't have children. Okay, let's read a prayer. They get pregnant straight away. Miracle. They tried for many years. Or someone else is sick. So many things a priest can do because he has priesthood. What keeps the priests down? I told you what keeps a lot us, us as Orthodox Christians, but what keeps the priests humble? Those frightful words. I preached in your name. I expelled demons in your name. I healed in your name. That's referring especially to the priests. And Christ says, go away, I don't know you. In other words, yes, you did all that because you had, because you had priesthood. Because you had priesthood. But what did you do as an individual? You're not going to be saved just because you've got the grace of the priesthood. What have you done as the person who, as your own, as a person yourself? Have you repented? Did you have faith? Did you have humility? Even a dead priest a lot of times can read a prayer and make people better, believe it or not. Even a priest that can't even concentrate in the liturgy when he blesses the bread and he blesses the wine, it becomes body and blood. People partake of that and people are saved. Even a dead priest can actually read the prayer of absolution and the, and the sins go. Miracles. But get away from me, I didn't know you. So that's not enough. The ten virgins, five were, five were foolish, five were wise. The five were saved, the five weren't saved. Why? If the five were still virgins, which is one of the greatest virtues, remember that Christ loved the Apostle John more than the other apostles because he was a virgin. So God loves virginity. But Christ closed the kingdom and they stood outside and said, Lord, open, open, open. And he didn't, I think, I, I can't remember fully, but I think it's the same thing. I don't know you. Go and go, go and get oil for yourselves. In other words, go and fill up your souls with grace. But they can say, but we have, we're virgins. We kept ourselves pure. I don't know you. Why? Because they didn't have love. They didn't have repentance. They didn't have the other gifts. It wasn't enough just to have that. Even though, yes, it is great, especially today, for a person to hold themselves, especially for a young person to be a virgin to get married, that's, the, that's one of the greatest things. That, that is great. But in and of itself, it's not enough, but it still is a great thing. Because today, everyone, it's easy to fall. Everyone can fall. It's so easy. A childless lady who had gone through many miscarriages, was pregnant again, she rushed to the elder in her anxiety, seeking his support. He saw that her problems were psychological. He, with his spiritual eyes, he noticed that it was psychological, it wasn't physical. He advised her to, re to rent a room in a neighbouring village and to calm down. She should not communicate with her relatives who conveyed their worries to her, not even by telephone. The lady followed his advice. So this woman was losing her children because of psychological reasons. And what was the psychological reasons? Stress. Stress. 
she was a very sensitive person and people would come and say things to her and she would become upset or telephone her and yap yap and say things to her and make her upset and then she'd lose the child, her, 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 her children. That's why it's very important when a woman's pregnant, at that time nothing must be done to upset them. That's my advice always to pregnant women and to the men. Don't upset them. Whatever they want, you give. They've got that right to have for nine months and 40 days after that, they're allowed to be spoiled. During that time, they are allowed to have whatever they want and don't argue when they've calmed down because at that time when women are pregnant, they're very weak, etc., and their thoughts go all over the place and they say stupid things a lot of times, illogical things. And men try to, just like when women are on their menstrual cycles, and men try to um, uh, communicate with them on a logical level, a lot of times that doesn't occur. That's not sexist. That's a fact. All my people say, oh, you're sexist. It's a fact. Well, what's, what's PMTs and all these things? It, it, it's around um, 10 days or something. Some are worse than others. And what men do, they try and have logic, have a conversation that can't be done. At those times, you say, yes, 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 and when they calm down, then you can tell them. So, same as a pregnant woman. Now, in this case here, this poor woman was losing her children because of her stress. Now, someone would say, oh, like she went to the elder, and the elder said that her problem's psychological. That's not deep. Why can't it be something deeper? You know, sometimes people come and wait for some really deep and spiritual reasonings and advice, which that happens to myself as well. Someone comes to me and says, I've got this, this and this problem in my mind, I have thoughts and this and that. Simple. They go, what? Take some vitamin B. And then they go, you know, like, <laughs> what kind of a priest are you? Like, what is that? I've come here to hear something spiritual that the demons are fighting me and everyone's after me. NASA sending special electro waves to my head or some Martians or something of, of, of something really deep and meaningful but say no it's not your, you you one of your problems is is that you just don't have the right nutrition and you're becoming weak you're doing a lot and you and you need some vitamins it's like I'm not going to go to that priest anymore because he's not spiritual because he prescribes vitamin B <laughs> so the same thing has happened with the older where a lot of times people would come to them and then come to him and then they would, he would just say things like, that's it, leave your family, go live on your own or you know, go away from that, cut off from people, don't be upset, don't listen to people's gossip and things that upset you and stay calm. The lady followed his advice. Indeed, she visited him from time to time and became much calmer. In the end, she gave birth to a healthy baby boy. She called him Porfirios in gratitude to the older. A friend of mine had told me about the matter. Then one day when I was in the older cell, a small child came in quite at ease, a nice child. The elder greeted him with great joy, gave him some sweets, and a tractor could be heard outside, because obviously they were at their monastery there. Do you know who that is with the tractor? The elder said. It is the father of little Porfirios who came into the cell just now. From his happiness, he comes here with his tractor now and digs the um, garden over. Plenty of children were born following his advice, and many were called Porfirios. His above words were wrapped in, up in a broad smile that the elder would be smiling in joy. Uh, nothing really spiritual, was it? 
just don't answer the phone and don't listen to people. Cut yourself off a bit, calm down, and that's the end of it. So if this woman was stupid and she was one of those ones with wings, she would say, it's not spiritual enough for me, and go away and keep on losing her children. But she didn't, because a lot of times that is the reason. Some people come to me and say, oh, my child, my child's like out of control. It must have demons or something. Like everything's demons. And, um, and, I, and I look at the child and ask a few questions and then find out that it's just a simple thing. The parents are fighting and the child's are disturbed. Simple. Sometimes I get those faces too. Are you saying that my child's behaviour is because we fight? Yes, it's because you fight. Stop fighting and you'll see the child will come down. Other times it's because of diet. There's a lot of reasons. Televisions are... uh, Most children are disturbed today a lot is because of the television, because it terrorises them, but they're too young to be able to express. They're too young to be able to put in their minds, like even if they watch, say, something which is like a child. The other day I was somewhere and they had a cartoon on. I said, I'm going to watch that a bit. And it was like monsters and things and I was like all evil things like that. And I go, if a child saw that, he will, firstly, it absorbs all the bad things and will become disturbed, very disturbed. And, and the only way that that child can cope with his disturbance or her disturbance is to repress it because it doesn't know how to handle it. And even you people, as all of us, when we're, even as adults, when something bad happens to us, when something is really not comfortable for us, we can't cope with it, we just put it away in our minds. I'll just push it to the side. Then let's push the other thing to the side. And let's push that to the side and that to the side. And after a while, those things want to come up. They want to come out. And that's why a lot of people drink. Alcohol is basically that. A lot of people who drink is because they've got all these built-up problems within them. And a lot comes from their family life, from their childhood, from their parents, the way the parents brought them up. And other reasons. So we have to uh, not cause our children to learn through being disturbed, to learn to push things down. We want our children to be able to express what they feel. When they get terrorised, when something's happened to them, you want them to be able to come up and say, Mom or Dad, I'm upset or this scared me or I saw that and, you know, whatever. And you, sometimes they don't know how to say it. And you've got to help them to open up these things in a nice way, with love and prayer, as, as the elder said. But a lot of parents are too busy making money, too busy fighting, too busy beautifying themselves and doing everything else. No, don't look at their children. And meanwhile, the children are becoming disturbed, 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 and then they wonder why these children grow up and become monsters and drugs and things like that. A lot of times it's like, oh, it's the bad people. The bad people made my child what it is. Never we made our child. It's never the parents' fault. It's always the bad people. Like in my days, it was, oh, those bad people gave my children the drugs. And they say that. And then this person did this. And that person taught my child to drink. And that person made my child to be disobedient. And, and, and. It's always everyone else's fault, but never our fault. The same as a priest. Sometimes when his spiritual children go off, 
he has to think to himself, is it because of yourself? Is it because of, because did you pray for the child, maybe, for the spiritual child? Maybe you were slack. Maybe you just forgot about him. Maybe you don't have love for, for that person and you forgot about him. Blame, blame ourselves and we see that things become better. Another advice, the older advised the mother with shattered nerves due to the things that she went through, serious trials, to struggle to become holy. At that same time, he gave her practical advice so that she could manage to escape from her melancholy. She had like a depression. But he gave practical advice. She should take care to get rid of unpleasant memories and fears. The older advised her, do not keep within yourself unpleasant memories and fears. She should remember pleasing events. By the way, a lot of psychologists say this now. She should always cultivate optimistic thoughts, good thoughts, about the future. She should listen to good music. We'll come to the music later because some of you, I noticed the ears went up. And she likes, and whatever, she, yeah, the music that she likes, go out for walks in the countryside Go with Christian ladies who were friends of hers to Vespers and Vigils and also the Divine Liturgy on Sundays and she should pray with trust in Christ. That was his advice. Practical advice on a psychological level, um, being careful of the thoughts, but also spiritual advice to do things which are spiritual. Just an example of what happened to me, just to show you. Many years ago because of sicknesses, a lot of times when I would do the service, the um, liturgy, I would become completely drained during the service. And I felt like I was going to faint, and that was all the time. Basically, I just could not keep up. And, I, and when I would stand in front of the altar, I would actually fall asleep, like just about to fall on the table, which was that bad. And people were saying to me, oh, it must be the demons because you're fighting. And some would say, oh, maybe, I don't know. I just couldn't understand what was wrong with me that I would actually go into such weakness. And then later on, after like a few hours, then I would become better. So I go, well, if, what's going on? Like, why am I sick during the service? But later on, after a few hours, then I would become better and I could do more. So... Obviously, the deduction must be must be demonic. That, that, that's a possibility, obviously. I didn't actually 100% think that, but it was thoughts that came to me going, well, maybe it is. I don't know. I just couldn't understand what was going on because all of you know, some of you who start to pray, you can see as soon as you go to pray and all of a sudden you feel sleepy or you get nervous, some of you get itchy, some of you get stomach pain, some of you have other problems which I won't mention, etc., 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 etc. So... It is true that those temptations do occur if our prayers are sincere. If our prayers aren't sincere, then usually you're left alone. But if your prayers are sincere, then you do get hit because the devil doesn't like sincere prayers. So if a woman, for example, was praying for her husband with sincerity, that's, that burns the demons or if a woman or a man is praying for his children and his wife, etc., same thing. But if the person's just standing there and praying as if they're Bernadette of, of Lourdes from some Catholic saint and praying there and they imagine that they've got light around them, right, and that they're giving off fragrances, etc., some people do think those things, or just the fact that they're special because they pray a long time and they have a lot of faith, they can do miracles, whatever, I don't know. If we have those type of prayers... 
Why should the demons fight that? They just say, do more. It's good for you. Good for him. But um, so with me, I wasn't sure what was happening. And, it was, and, that, and that was very bad. As I said, at times I had to hold the altar because it just could not keep on my feet. It was really bad. And later on, after many years of enduring like that, it was found out that I had underactive thyroid, which explained many things, and um, weakness, and it's very dangerous. You can actually go into a coma. So therefore, it wasn't the demons, even though the demons take advantage of those things, but it was actually sickness. And later on, I got a medication, so I got better from that. But later on, then I had, again, certain weaknesses, the same thing, always during the service. Why? Because I did something wrong. Due to, due to my lifestyle, a lot of times I wouldn't eat for, well, until I finally communed and was able to eat. Sometimes it would be 18 hours, which is silly. 18 hours. And I was trembling during the service. And people would say, oh, the demons again. And I said, no, I don't know. There's something's wrong, but I don't know what it is. What was it? Simple. My sugar levels were falling. And that's what was causing the problem. Simple thing. Sugar levels. Don't fast too long. Don't, you know what I mean? And that's why uh, people, they go to university or go to work and things like that. I remember one guy in Greece. He was a labourer. He used to do jackhammering. And during Lent, he would have for his lunch, while he was jackhammering, olives and bread. That was the food that he would have. No oil, olives and bread, Monday to Friday. And his eyes were popping out, and he was lost weight and things like that. And then he was having all problems with his nerves, becoming angry. And he goes, oh, it's the demons wanting to stop me to fast. No, it's the olives which are making you sick. The olives and the bread. You can't jackhammer and do olives and bread. Even Manathos, the monks who really do heavy work on days that are no oil, have oil because they are picking up boulders and doing a lot of work. Look, let's have some sense. And it's not the demons this and the demons that. Like I said once, someone rang me up and said, I heard your talk and it was funny because you said that when something moves like a leaf on the flower pot and people think, oh, it must be demonic. I said to him, yeah, that's right. I said, that's what people think, but it might just be a caterpillar. <laughs> that's just eating the leaf. So once a worldly lady with many degrees and a host of social activities, but a sensitive soul, was on the verge of a nervous breakdown. She resorted to the elder. He saw the state of her soul immediately with his spiritual eyes and described her state in one short phrase. You're run down. You're run down. That's it. The lady was impressed with this unusual diagnosis. However, it precisely described the whole disorder that she was going through in her soul because of her many uh, problems that she had. The elder sympathised with her and in his loving care, she also became a devoted disciple of his because with his brilliant guidance, her soul was rehabilitated and she was reborn in Christ. Now, notice that he had to fix up her breakdown 
And then it says, and then she was reborn, reborn in Christ. A lot of times our physical sicknesses stop us, if it's because of ourselves, progressing spiritually. It's a sin to do damage to your body because our bodies, it says, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And there are even canons in the church which say that a person who fasts to the point that they're making themselves sick are excommunicated. They're cut off from the church. That's how serious it is. And there are, I have to say, some spiritual fathers who, you know, they've got that wing problem as well, they've got wings as well, and they think that everything's just spiritual and we don't worry about the body. It's just like you do your spiritual life and everything will be done for you. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about sicknesses. Don't worry about this. Don't worry about that. That's not good. That's actually a heresy, which we'll see as time goes on, where we think that we're just soul. We're not just soul. We're body and soul. And even Christ himself, being God, when he was on earth, we saw that when people came out to listen to his preaching, he saw that they were hungry and he had sympathy for them because he said, if I send them to go away to go and find some to eat, they're going to faint on the way because they're hungry. So what did he do? Sit down and multiplied the bread and the fish and gave them to eat. He thought about their body. He gave them spiritual food, but he gave them also, took care of their bodies. He cared that they might faint. Not like some spiritual fathers and some other Christians who think and say, oh, you'll be all right. Just, just, just go on with life. God will give you strength and nothing's going to happen to you. And hence why I organise when, when people come to the talk, you're getting spiritual food, you're here for so many hours, what are you going to do all just stampede out and go to the nearest um, suvlaki bar or something and go and eat because you're starving? Obviously, we think about the body as well. Because you have bodies, we all have bodies. So let's, not, let's be careful of that... Uh, of that heresy, to think that we're only soul. Then there's others, of course, who think they're just body and only care about their body and don't care about their soul. The last one before the break, he gave me, this is another person saying, he gave me detailed instructions like a caring father to his child. Be careful with your diet, said the elder. Don't eat food that bothers your condition and makes you fat. Don't spend too long in bed because you'll get sick again. And that's true, unless you're really sick. Sometimes too much sleep can make you sick, but also too little sleep. I believe today it's the opposite, too little sleep because of the TV, internet, etc. It makes the mind work too much and it just can't calm down. And so people aren't sleeping much anymore. There are a few people that might sleep a lot. Elder Bates has actually said that sometimes for people that are suffering from a lot of depression, things like that, sometimes they need to rest because of their souls need to calm down. But that needs discernment. Who needs more sleep? Who needs less sleep? Who needs more food? Who needs less food? It's who needs to cut down on their spiritual activities? Who needs to increase their spirituality? This is what's called discernment. This is very difficult. Don't spend too long in bed because you'll get sick again. Move around, take exercise, but in moderation. So the eldest speaks, speaks about everything. Rest, exercise, food. You should go for walks for neither too quickly nor too slowly, but neither too quickly too slowly. Not uphill, not downhill. Look at, look at the detail he's going into. 
or very high up or very low down. I don't know what that means, probably altitude maybe. Walk with a regular pace in an even place without trying yourself out. Of course, this advice is particular for this person, but I just want you to see how much the elder cared and thought about a lot of things, and that's what we should do. Spiritual fathers should look at those things too and not just think that everything's just spiritual. A lot of times when people come to me or people ring to me, ring me up a lot of times and they start going through problems, it doesn't take long for me to work out that a lot of times it's just a simple thing. One person rang up once and said, um, I can't sleep. Because I can't sleep and... Um, of course, I could have thought to myself, well, it could be a psychological problem, it could be spiritual, it could be anything. But anyway, the person said, I can't sleep, and I asked a few questions, and, it, and I, I, I had a hunch what it was. And I said to the person, do you eat a lot of um, foods that have additives, like biscuits and bread, because oh, I eat a lot of bread. The bread's got a certain additive which keeps people, makes them hyper-vigilant. That's a lot of children that have the bread. They're actually crazy, and when they cut down that bread, get, that, get rid of that. I think it's 202, I'm not sure which one it is. It makes them happy with that. And he says that he has a lot of foods, and because his wife's lazy and doesn't cook much, and he's obviously lazy because he doesn't, he doesn't do it, they go and buy a lot of junk food and a lot of stuff with cans, and a lot of stuff which has all that stuff. And then later on, he wrote me an email and goes, oh, I've improved, because I've cut down all that stuff, because I'm actually sleeping now. Nothing, nothing spiritual, simple. Just very simple. The same with the children a lot of times. They're crazy because they're having a lot of additives, colours, and things like that. Priests have to know about these things, because they might say, well... You're not sleeping because of some, I don't know, some spiritual reason or because you've done a sin and you're not repentant and you can't sleep because you're conscious and go into some whole, whole thesis of something when it's just a simple thing that is eating too many biscuits and things like that. So I do believe that spiritual fathers need to get more involved in those things and really know what's going on to be able to help their people. That's my thing. A person came to me and said, um, I think I've said this story, but this is very interesting. This person's got some mental issues, and that person said to me, I, I've relapsed. I've become really sick again, like my thoughts, and I, I'm not really well, and I can't do much, etc. And I said to them, well, when did that start? And they said, around um, March. Okay, good. So I, I note that. Then I've got to now go into investigation mode to find out what happened in March because something happened. My thought was maybe something happened at work if she works or something happened at school if she goes to school or something happened with her family. But something happened in March to make this person have a, a relapse, one can say. What was it? Talk, talk, talk a little bit here and there. And what did we discover at the same time that person began the Lenten fast, whereby the person was fasting. And when she started fasting, her mental problems became worse, which when you put two and two together, you don't have to be a genius to find out that that person can't fast 
to a normal level like some maybe other people can because it affects her body, which then affects her mind. And I said, it's the fasting. You shouldn't fast to that extent because it aggravates uh, the mental problems. So these issues are real and we have to become more aware of it that we have bodies. Don't do the bad thing of thinking that we're just soul and think, I only look at spiritual. I don't look at physical because that means it's like we think we're angels, but we're not angels. We've got bodies. I gave you that example when I went to Jerusalem and they said there's a very holy person there, a confessor, and I said, I want to go and meet him. I was just, just new in the church and I was really wanted to go and meet the guy. He's a very, very, very spiritual man, very old. He was, must have been hit 90. And I knocked on the door and he opened the door. He's obviously passed away now. And he looked at me and, as I said before, he was quite shocked. I don't, I don't know what he was shocked about. And then he took me in and what did he do? What, what did he start talking about? He said to me, have you eaten? You look very pale. You look very, you know, you don't look very well. I'll make you something. And he made me milk and he gave me some bread. And then later on, he, you know, I said, I'm here on pilgrimage and all that. And he said, um, where are you going to eat for lunch? Where are you going to eat? I said to him, I don't know. He goes, come back here. I've got this nice turkey leg. I'll make it for you and I'll give it to you, etc., etc." So not much spiritual. It was like, are you all right? Think your food, your because I was very thin in those days, and um, yeah, and that's what and that's what happened. And then later on, slowly, slowly, we went on to the spiritual. And I was was maybe in the beginning a bit confused and go, but I came here for spiritual. Why is he giving me turkey legs and milk? I mean, I'm too spiritual for that. But he wasn't interested in that. He was interested in the health and that later on put me in a better position to be able to accept his help see and that's where we get mixed up we believe that we're just spiritual and we uh, you should get out I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not going to tell you where you should go go to places you like just as long as they are outside of Athens away from the pollution so you thought about the pollution go out go into the country um, that, because the pollution damages your health. Don't go out where it's very... Now, listen to this, the detail. Don't go out when it's, when it's very cold or very hot. When you go out in the cold, hold a handkerchief in front of your nose and mouth so that you won't breathe in the cold air. Wear a hat in the heat so the sun won't affect your head. Be very careful about the stress and anxiety that you feel at work. Even that. Hats, hankies... Work, be careful, don't stress yourself out, be careful. All those. I know that you don't have pressure at work, um, uh, but nevertheless, you create the pressure in yourself. This person would become more anxious than what was necessary. You, still, you put pressure on yourself internally so that you won't fall behind the others and that you can produce more and better work, etc. Do you see now that you've taken sick leave and you have been away from work for quite a few days, how calm you are inside? So sometimes... We need to take these sick leaves and rest. When you do any kind, any other kind of work, don't be anxious. Read books by the church fathers, pray. First and foremost, do not get upset. 
don't get upset. In this way, your health will get better because when we get upset a lot, this makes us sick. The more you love Christ, the happier you'll be and the less upset you'll be. You'll do everything with love and thanks without anxiety and stress. Take your medicine. Perhaps you'll be able one day to throw it away. Now, what do we see? Look at the, the way that he advised and will finish. The advice was food, sleep, walks. Don't get too tired. Then he goes on to the pollution. Go out, you know, where there's fresh air. Wear your scarf or put a hanky when it's too cold. Wear a hat when it's too hot. Then we go down. Um, don't stress at work. Relax more. Then we come a little bit, oh, after we've done all that, then we go, what's coming up now? Read spiritual books. Pray. Love Christ and everything else will come to you. That's it. That's the advice of one of the greatest elders in the Orthodox Church today. It wasn't as soon as the person comes to start straight away with spiritual deep things. Isn't that fantastic? I, th I thought that was really wonderful. Um, and I, wrote, I wrote a little note here. All the Prophetists knew that people are composed of both body and soul and therefore have spiritual and material needs. He always helped people by, by neither underestimating one or the other. Like he didn't put down the spirit and put up the body, but he didn't put up the body and whatever, you know, like didn't put one to the other. He tried to keep a balance. There are many Orthodox Christians, including clergy, who fail to recognise an individual's material or bodily needs. They kind of forget that that exists. Like the person who went to a spiritual father and says, I feel really weak, who was fasting. And the person was really weak. Now, he could have been making that up because he didn't want to fast. But what did the spiritual father say? Eat almonds. That was the advice. Eat almonds, goodbye. Uh, he knew that bodily problems affect the soul and the soul problems can affect the body. So we are composed, if you don't remember much today, remember, we are body and soul. Now, because of that, you just had the spiritual, now it's time for the bodily needs. So go and we'll come back soon. Any questions before we go on of what we said in the first part of the talk that you would like to ask? But kind of stick to what we're talking about and go off into something else because it kind of spoils the flow. Um, any questions on what we, what's already been presented? Yes? The question is, if we listen to what the elder said, which is not to, um, not to become too stressed because that can make you sick, should we be careful in our lives not to create stressful situations? And the answer is yes, that we have to be like what's called a strategist. 
Now, a strategist in the army, for example, like a general, is a person whom, who is, uh, has the gift to be able to know how to approach his fight or his war. And, and um, that's the same as a strategist can be in, in, like a, in spiritual life, is to look and, and avoid situations which make things in our lives more difficult. For example, I think I've said before, like simple things. Some people go to church with children and then after the church, there might be a fast day, so they can't go and eat rubbish from fast food and they don't bring anything with them. So they go out for a drive and then later on, the children are hungry. The children can't just survive on prosphora or things like that. So they're going for this drive as a happy family and just the kids start going crazy and even the parents' sugar levels can go down and the whole thing can become a nightmare, fights in front of the children, etc. That's so silly. And I say to the parents, all you do is just go buy an esky from Kmart, a nice esky, get a couple of bricks in them and put some food in there, which if you know you're going to go there, think about it beforehand and set up for that. The same as people who create a lot of work in their life by doing so many projects. Like, uh, for example, their wife might be pregnant and all of a sudden the fellow might say, oh, I'm going to do a course or something like that, When and the wife might have other children. So at that time the woman's really, really heavy because she's pregnant or sick, and then all of a sudden this dope thinks to himself, I'm going to go and do a course because it's going to be better for my job. And meanwhile, he leaves his wife at home and she becomes all fatigued and then she becomes all nervous and they have fights, etc. See, these are creating things. And people are really silly. They don't think things out. They do not think things out. You must think about everything. And a lot of people don't because they haven't been brought up like that and they're very uh, disorganised. Some people say, oh, why don't you allow people to come to your little monastery there that we've got? And I said, I don't allow people to come for one simple reason. There's only three of us. And if people come, if we open the doors and people to come, that means that we will not be able to do any spiritual life. And they go, oh, but if people come, they'll get help and this and that. No, they weren't going to get any help because we will collapse. We will collapse. We won't be able to do it. So, so you have to be a strategist. You have to think, what is best for our situation? Some people say, I want you to do talks every week. And I say, I can't do that because physically I can't do that. It takes me a couple of weeks to recover just from today, from tonight. If I do this every week, then I, because of my problems that I've got, so that's what's called strategy. I've got to think, can I do it? No, I can't. I'm not going to do it. Oh, but you can help people. It doesn't matter. I can't do it. You have to look at your limitations and you've got to be very careful not to create problems. When I used to teach at school and I was very, um, and at that stage, used to fast a lot, even though you wouldn't believe it by looking at me, but in those days, because I didn't know much, and I used to really go to teach during Lent, like having a jam sandwich, just a jam sandwich, which is ridiculous. And then I didn't understand why I was always on edge. 
and things used to set me off. But how, how, how do you stay all day teaching, you know, 100, how many kids do you have? Like 30 in a class and you have five classes, about 150 kids. And how do you expect to teach that on a jam sandwich? So, you know, and so therefore things would set me off that would make me really nervous. So what happened was, of course, some students are stupid and some are not, but some are really uh, like what we call, um, they aggravate, they do things on purpose. And I noticed that if I was walking down a corridor and I would notice that a, coming towards me, not necessarily going to do anything to me, but that person might do something which might set me off and I might actually react to that, I had to be what's called a strategist at that time. I knew at that stage, I never knew it was from the fasting, but I knew there was something wrong. What do I do? I see the person coming and I pretend that I'm going to go into a classroom so that that pest can walk past, not to aggravate me, or I'll turn around and go right around the school just to go back to my staff room because I didn't want to go past that person because that person might say something which would set me off. That's strategy. That's what I needed to do. Because when you're on edge, you can do things that are not good. Like I said about that, that egghead that went to, wanted to go for his barbecue, and I said, don't go there because your relatives are against you. And he goes, I'm still going to go, I'm gonna, still going to go. And at the end, out comes the baseball bat. They smashed his car, you know, smashed his face in, etc., etc. Why? Because the person's not a strategist. He's silly. Creates problems. And that's true. You have to think of everything in your lives and not to create problems. If some people are coming over to your house continually because they've got nowhere else to go and you might think to yourself, oh, that's good, we're doing a Christian thing. I'll give you a fantastic example. Was these people who were um, uh, church people, a mother and daughter, old, and um, they used to have people coming to their house continually for visits to talk about spiritual things. They would sit down and yap, yap, yap all day about spiritual things. And a lot of times those people the mother and daughter, didn't even have time to eat because if they actually had to eat, then they have to invite the others and if they invite everyone that comes there, at the end they would have no food because they're both on pensions. But they believed that they were doing this great work, this great spiritual work because they're speaking about spiritual things and it sounds like it, but the point was that they started to go broke because they had to buy all these almonds to serve people and they had to buy uh, like a bulk coffee because they had to make coffee for everyone. And sometimes when you used to go to their place, there might be 10 people there, right? And then when the people would go in the night, the mother and daughter would fight and have really big fights over financial and stress. And sometimes they, they couldn't even go to the toilet because they were so stressed of serving everyone. And it just caused the whole trouble. Then you've got, what do you do there? Well, you've got to say to the people, look, you know, we need time or whatever, this and that. Sometimes you've got to do that. You can't be silly and allow other people to control your lives and cause problems, which then creates stress. A woman's at home and the husband's working, for example, let's just say in that situation, and the husband comes home, he's working. There has to be food there for him 
But no, he comes home and the woman's on the phone because someone rang up and kept her on the phone for hours and hours. He says, oh, I just couldn't say anything. I couldn't get off the phone. And that creates problems because he's hungry. That creates problems. There's a blow up. There's a fight. The kids get upset. The whole thing's chaos or because the food wasn't ready. See, things like that. People don't think of that. That's not spiritual. Spiritual is big things. But that is spiritual, and that's the cause of a lot of problems. Does that answer your question? We have to become strategists in our spiritual life. Don't create situations which cause stress to us unnecessarily. Like the elder said to that woman, you know, they're not pressuring you at work. Why do you create more pressure for yourself? Why are you always worried about that, oh, someone's going to do more work than you and all these silly things? And that's the biggest problem I find with people is that a lot of times when people ask me questions, a lot of times all I'm doing is actually saying to them, cut that off, don't do that, be careful of that, drop back on that, don't do this, you know, things like that. And it's just causing a lot of stress in the families and that's causing a lot of divorces. One of the biggest causes of divorces is um, renovations. Some people say, oh, let's, let, let's do a renovation. Do it. Where are you going to live during the renovation? Oh, we're going to live here. So you've got this situation where there's, as you're having your breakfast, like I went to a place the other day and they're renovating, and the woman was saying um, that while she's cooking her porridge for the children, porridge for the children, all these little bits of gyprock are falling into the porridge because the kitchen that she's cooking in is part of the renovation. And I said to you, why would you do that? You've got to think things out. You don't just do things like that without thinking. Where are the children going to sleep? How are you going to live in that situation? That would put so much pressure on a married couple that no wonder they divorce. Because there's no strategy involved. If you're going to do it, you've got to cut part of the house off, say, and you do one part. But the part that you've cut off, does it have a bathroom and a toilet? Or do you have to use a bucket? Right? Does it have a kitchen? Or are you going to use a camper um, uh, little thing with one gas outlet and cook for a whole family with that? Yeah, no one thinks. All they look at is, oh, we're going to have this beautiful big house. Usually it goes into divorce proceedings and that's the end of it. That's not the correct strategy. The elder told me one day someone came and said to me, I've heard about you. You are something like a medium, a wizard, a fakir, or whatever it is, a guru. And I, so someone came to the elder, and that's true. In Athens, even clergy would actually say that Elder Porphyrios is a magician. Others would look up to him. I, I used to hear that. Oh, he's deceived. Years ago, when I used to go to Greece, he's deceived, some would say. And some would say he's not. But then again, didn't they do the same for Christ? Some say he was deceived. Some say he had a demon. Some say he was, he was, the, he was, the, um, he was the, um, a prophet, etc. That's the same for all holy people. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you, says Christ. If they said bad about me, they'll say bad about you. We look at the example of Christ and say that's the way it's going to be. So in, with holy people, that's how it is a lot of times. There's people who say that they're, that they're deceived or demonic or whatever, 
And some will say that he's fantastic. Now, be very careful because even sometimes spiritual people can be mistaken and put down another spiritual person. Like St. Epiphanius of Cyprus, years ago during the time of St. John Chrysostom, the emperor and empress invited St. Epiphanius to Constantinople and said to him, we, wanted, we want to exile St. John Chrysostom, we don't want him here. And St. Saint, Saint Epiphanius agreed and signed this decision. St. John Chrysostom, a saint. St. Epiphanius, a saint. What happened there? Well, sometimes even the saints make mistakes and make wrong decisions. So we've got to be careful that sometimes people out of zeal, a holy person out of zeal, can see someone doing something. I believe in some way there was a little bit of friction between even Elder Paisios with Elder Porphyrios in that. Elder Paisios' way was very monastic, really into not doing things for show, humility, which is correct. While Elder Porphyrios would say things like, come here and I'll tell you what you've done. This, and as I've said before, even I got confused, that is just really not much heard of in the Orthodox Church. So therefore, some people who had a good disposition would say, Elder Porphyrios is deceived. Others, out of evil reasons, would say he's deceived because they were, um, they didn't have God's grace. So, you know, we've got to be careful. So the elder answered, what are all those things you're talking about, you blessed thing? Now, that's interesting too. We say, you idiot, which I've done today. Or we say, oh, how stupid, or you're stupid, or you're a fool, or you're a dope, and things like that. And Christ says, when we use such words, that we open ourselves up to being condemned because we shouldn't refer to people in that way. In Manathos, for example, uh, and spiritual people, when they speak about someone who's done something wrong, they don't say, oh, that, what, you know, you idiot. They actually say, what are you saying, you blessed thing? Like, what are you saying? Or when they greet each other as they're walking through, you know, from one in the, in the tracks where they're going or in the monastery, they would say, which means, you know, like a God's blessing, things like that. So this is the way they greet each other. This is the way they refer to each other. It's unheard of for them to speak about that. I mean, you can refer when we say Arius was a demon, he was, he was a thing, or when people are doing evil things which are um, bad for the church, we do make references to that. What Christ is saying here is when we speak on a personal level, be very careful. Anyway, this person came up to the elder and on a personal level said, you are a medium, you're a wizard, you are a magician. And he said, what are you saying, you blessed thing? Not what are you saying, you idiot. I am a Christian Orthodox. Not only, not only am I not like those things you say, but I make war against them. In other words, the elder saying, what are you calling me that? He goes, I'm Orthodox Christian. I'm not a magician. I fight the magicians. I go against them. And this is um, uh, interesting that we think that everyone flocked to the elder. This is the wrong view. That everyone flocked to the elder. That everyone loved the elder. That everything was easy for the elder. But it wasn't. 
because we've heard examples where he helped and people showed respect and people loved him and venerated him in a good way, in an orthodox manner. But um, the truth of the matter is he, he, he suffered a lot from people as well, as we'll see. So that's one example. A restless pilgrim arrived at Calicia with his parents, that's one of the places that the elder was, to visit the elder. As soon as he went into the cell, the elder saw the demon quite clearly within his soul. This person had, was, had a demon, and the elder with his spiritual eyes could see the demon in this person. He then started praying intensely and delayed the visitor until he could get the demon out of him, but it stayed. It did not come out. Now, there's a lot of bips we have to do here, but the point is that I'm not into that, because if we go according to what that priest says, we're not allowed to mention these things. Now, there's a book at the back called Elder Arsenios of Cappadocia, which is the spiritual, well, he was the one who baptised Elder Paisios. In that book, it actually says, which is interesting, that when Elder Paisios produced that book, some people told him, take out the references to demons and possessed people because the Europeans don't believe in those things. They don't like it because they look at things in, on a logical level. And to them, it's distasteful. The same thing here. Look, look what we're reading. But people find, might find it distasteful because the demons want one thing. They don't want us to know they exist. And when they're exposed, they become quite um, disturbed and they fight. Now, one of the other books there, I'm not sure it's in that book, but it's Archimandrite Haralambos Vassilopoulos, which is he wrote a lot of books in Greek. And there was one at the back, which is the, the Miracles My Eyes Have Seen. But he wrote a lot about these matters. He wrote books on, on magic and things like that, all about it, and exposed it to the fullest. And in one of the books, he said that he, in those days, because he died in 19... Um, oh, I forgot when he died, I think the 1980s. Anyway, in those days, he used to write his books up on a typewriter, no computers. And he said that one night he was in his cell typing up another book on these things, exposing these, these, um, these demons and magic and all these things. And as he was typing, the, the, this force picked up the typewriter and flung it towards him, and he just moved to miss him that, that the typewriter would have hit him in the head and could have killed him. Now, people don't want to hear those things. That's, that's okay. If you don't want to hear it, then you don't come. But if you're going to come here, you're going to hear it, because that's the truth. A young fellow t told me, he goes, um, that his mother went to magicians. And then suddenly he said, Oh, then they realised they shouldn't have gone. But, this, but, but, but one of her children, I think she had two children, but one of the children, the boy who I'm speaking about, he used to wake up in the night and he used to see things in the room. It was like he, he had problems. So they invited the priest to come to do a holy water. And this boy says he remembers this fully, that when the priest came to the house to read this house, of course, which had who knows how much demonic things in it because those parents brought all those things into the house. And they think, oh, now we know it's wrong and let's click our fingers and we're going to call the priest who's our slave, do a holy water and get rid of him because we don't want it anymore. It doesn't work like that. Once you've gone to those places, those things don't leave easily. 
And people don't understand. They go, oh, how come I still feel sick? Or how come I have problems? Or how come my children are still got problems? They don't leave. If you went to those doors, this is what Archimand Wright Haralambo said, if you've gone to those doors, even out of ignorance, you have tied yourself to them. They won't let you go that easily. So the priest came. And as the priest was doing the holy water service, the light in the lounge room started to move and the holy water bowl flew up in the air and smashed on the ground into pieces. And the fellow said that he saw it. And I believe that because I know those things happen. So we're not going to take these things out because some priest who studied psychology wants us to take out the whole teaching of the church, nor are we going to emphasise it continually. But I am emphasising it a bit today, one, because we're coming across it, and two, how dare he or other people actually want to cut out from the orthodox spirituality, from the orthodox books, any references to demons. And Elder Paisio said, I'm not taking it out. Because in that book, you'll see there were so many examples of people that were possessed, even Muslims that would go to Elder Arsenios to be freed from the demons. Muslims that came and were, be- and were made better. They didn't go to their ones, obviously, because they can't help. They went to the Orthodox priest because he was holy and he would heal them and help them. And there's a lot of references in that book about that. And Elder Bishop says, I'm not taking them out. As long as we don't go to the extreme of the caterpillar up there and say, oh, that's a demon, that's a demon, that's a demon. You know, that, that's not right. But in an orthodox way, let's look at it. And this is what he's saying. Now, the elder, with his spiritual eyes, he saw that this person had a demon. So he, he prayed for that person. And um, his relatives told the elder that it was not worth the trouble of concerning himself with that man because he was not in his right mind and had psychiatric illnesses. Illness. So that his relatives thought that his problem was psychiatric, but the elder knew that it wasn't psychiatric, it was demonic. Now, I've given you an example once when I was in Greece and a spiritual father told me that a, a very holy spiritual father went to America and went into a psychiatric hospital. And as he was walking through the psychiatric hospital, a lot of the patients started to react and, well, uh, and I said to the, because I was young in those, I, did, I said, what are you trying to say? He goes, what I'm trying to say is that a lot of psychiatric problems are demonic. And this is another example of it. And Elder Porfirio says that as well. But with repentance, a lot of people can get better. With repentance, but people try to get better without repentance. How are you going to get better? So in this case... His relative said, oh, he's disturbed. Um, the visitors left. After some time, the relative suggested that he go to see the elder again. So his relative said to this man, why don't you go to the elder and see him? You know? He replied, I will go to the other priest for confession, but not to Father Porfirios, because he's a magician and does magic. So this person said, I'm not going to go to him because he's a magician. It reminds one of those unfortunate Pharisees who said to Christ, you have a demon. And not only that, that when Christ would exercise the demons, when Christ would make the demons come out of the people, then the Pharisees said, he takes the demons out with the power of the demons, which is the schizophrenia that these people have. It's called spiritual schizophrenia. They 
distort everything. Like a schizophrenic, if they're really bad, that they actually distort reality, then they're not in reality. That's the same as what's called spiritual schizophrenia. They're outside of reality and they say the most silly things, a lot of times inspired by the demons. Why? Because if that person went to the elder, then that person could have got better. High chance. The demons didn't want that. So the demons bring in the person's mind and says, he's a magician. He casts out demons by the rule of the... It is expected that those suffering from demonic possession would slander Christ and the saints. So a lot of people who have these demonic problems have it out for priests, have it out for monastics, have it out for icons. Years ago when I was in Melbourne, there was a woman and she said about her son um, that um, when he would go into his crisis point, that he would just smash all the icons into place. He had it out for the icons. He had problems. Now, what I, I don't know because I wasn't a priest at that stage, but I just know that that's what happened. Um, I've got a feeling now, looking at it from a few more years of experience, that she, when she was worldly, maybe could have done something to him by thinking he had problems. Maybe he had mental issues, just simple ones or whatever, for whatever reason. And she thought, oh, maybe someone did something to him. So she goes to magicians, does stuff, puts some stuff in his coffee, puts some stuff under his bed and makes the person become worse. And then they wonder and go, oh, why, why is these things still bothering us? Like the fellow that went to Mount Athos, like I've told you before, and he was in his room and the, um, he, he, he was involved with that stuff got involved with that stuff and he was in the you know in a room by himself it was a quiet time in other words Manalthus when it's really busy there could be hundreds of pilgrims in one in one monastery and in their rooms they're so big they might have you know ten people in there five people for but this person went during a quiet time so he was in a room by himself and as he was there lying down not sleeping and all of a sudden as I've said before the bed started shaking the sheets started flying in the air and the person just sat there petrified and just started to pray, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy, help me, protect me, just kept his eyes shut because he was scared. Then ran to the um, abbot later on when they went away and ran to the abbot and said to the abbot, you know, what's happening, what's happening? The abbot just went, oh, you know, just smiled and like about a little chuckle. And this, this person was a bit shocked and goes, what's so funny? I, I, you know, I, I was really scared. The person said, it's very simple, the abbot said, very, very simple. Oh, it was actually um, Abbot Haralambos, I think we've got that book at the back, the Nusiatis. And he said to him, because, you, because they were once yours, they're not going to let you go, and that's why. Because you once were with them, they don't let their people go. Now, I believe we all in some ways, were, if not still, in some ways or whatever, but we all have, we've all committed things that are wrong, some worse, some less. Those people who did delve into that demonic stuff, including heavy metal music and all that type of, same thing, it's, you know, all that type of stuff, uh, they do become tied with the menu, what's the word, bound. And uh, it's very, it's, it is very hard to get away from it. 
with God, all things are possible. But don't think that it's just going to, you come to the church and all of a sudden it's gone. Like Superman goes into his phone booth and he comes out and he's Superman. It's like we think we come from this demonic life, all of us. We come to church and we think that once we leave, once we come into the church, that all of a sudden we're holy woly. But we're not. And we do have to fight. Someone with a direct need of spiritual help thought about visiting the elder. However, some friends of his who were prejudiced against the elder managed to give him negative information, which was naturally false. So this person had a thought, I'm going to go and visit the elder. And some of his friends said to him, don't go to him because he's this, 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 all this type of stuff. Following this, he rejected all thought of visiting the elder. This person, weak of mind, because as soon as his friend said something, he goes, oh, oh, so he believed it. He believed it. And that's what we do. When we hear things about people, whether it's about an elder, whether it's about a priest, whether it's about a bishop, whether it's about a nun or a monk, or whether it's about some other Christian, we tend to believe everything we hear because our minds are weak. That's what judging is. And we've got to be careful that, to be truthful, when I was younger, I used to believe everything. But as time went on with reading, with some experience, I started to see that, no, don't believe everything, because a lot of times it could be lies. Once someone went to um, a bishop and said to him, I've heard such and such a story about a certain priest. Sorry, a priest went to the bishop and said, I've heard such and such about another bishop. That's right, about another bishop. And the, and, the, and the bishop, which was a very good bishop, holy bishop, he goes, did you see it? He goes, no, no, but, 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 no, did you see it? He goes, no, but, 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 like Porky. No, no, did you see it? And he goes, no. He goes, you can't be sure. But, listen to this one, oh, I love this one. He goes, I couldn't, he goes, and even if you do see it, still be unsure that you actually did see what you thought you saw. Why? Fantasy. Remember that thing in the arena by Saint Ignatius, the Russian saint, where there was a monk, he was really judgmental, judgmental, judging everyone. And then he saw, as I said before, a fellow monk of his with a woman in, an, in, a, in a compromising situation. And he saw it and he said, what are they doing, what are they doing, what are they doing? So then he kind of thought to himself, oh, this, this can't go on, what they're doing, this is, this is disgusting and horrible. So he went up and kicked them and said, stop it. And it turned out that it was two bushes. He saw two bushes and in his mind, the demons brought a fantasy that it was another monk doing such things. And that's talking about a time where it was ancient times, before the television. Now, with the television, our minds are open and see things that don't even exist. So this poor person listened to his friends. One of the elder spiritual children told him about this man, what happened. He was well known to him and he was saddened by his prejudice. The elder saw, with his spiritual eyes, that something serious was going to occur, that there were some problems, dangerous problems. 
of that man and he advised one of his spiritual children to go and tell that man to come to him. Tell him to come to me. But he was not convinced the poison of his prejudice was really strong. Like in his heart, he had allowed the evil feelings against the elder to take root. Then the elder, out of pity for him, called him by phone personally, something that he was not in the habit of doing, and he invited him. Now, the elder did not run after people. This is important. He liked when people made the effort themselves. We heard that in the last talk about a woman that wanted to go, and a spiritual child of the elder said, should I go and get her and drive her up? He goes, no, let her ask you to drive her. It's got to be her will. It's got to be our will. When you come here, for example, you're coming because you want to come. We come here because we want to come, not because our husband said or our wife said. And if you're older and you've got a way not to listen, not because your parents said or your cousin said or your friend said. We come because we want to come. I really dislike that. When people are forced, never force someone to come. Remember the person I said about, that I said to someone, go to confession, I mentioned it last month, go to confession, and at the end this person lost it because that person wasn't ready, but because I encouraged her and used some way of making her go and at the end she wasn't ready and then she just lost it. So the elder was really into a person using their will. But in this case, he actually went against his own, his own judgment, or not his own judgment, he judged, sorry, that he should do this for this particular person. There's exceptions. This was an exception. So he telephoned the person and told him to come. The man replied that he was thankful for his phone call but could not accept the invitation. The elder called him up three times and he refused to visit him all three times using different excuses. The visit... This person who had direct need of the elder's help eventually remained without help due to his stubborn prejudice. So this person, who a holy person was ringing him to come and speak to him, didn't want to come. If he came to... to now, this is the part I was saying before, before the break. The elder said, if he came to see me, not more than five minutes would be needed to change him. I would have told him some secret of his, I would have won his confidence easily, and I would have helped him solve the problem. So the elder did use the gift he had, not to show off, not so people can think that he's great, not for his own self-satisfaction like we do, but he was using his gift as a way to help the person for the salvation of their soul. That's what saints do. If they've got gifts given to them by God, it's used only for the benefit of souls, for the salvation of souls. Any gift which is used, even if it is like a natural gift, which is used for our own, our own purpose of vainglory, pride and things like that, will turn out to be uh, destruction. And we said there are people who've got natural gifts. Some people have natural... I mean, um, Michael Jackson. We cannot say that he wasn't a gifted musician. He had a gift from very young. But then he used it for whatever purpose he used it for. And other people, whether they are singers or whether they're writers, 
There's a lot of people have got what's called natural gifts. People, when they come to the church, can also develop spiritual gifts. But God does not give them out. Why? Is it because he's, he's, he's mean? Is it because he doesn't want to give us good things? No. God wants to give us all the gifts. He wants to give us everything. But he doesn't give it to us because we will destroy ourselves. We've said that before. But in this case, he, Elder Porphyrios, could hold the gifts without destroying himself because he had the humility, something that we lack. So the elder said, I would tell him some secrets and I would win him over. Um, I would win his confidence easily and I would help him solve his problem. However, the man permanently kept to his rejection. The human soul is a mystery. Did the elder know that he would not visit him in the end? Probably yes. Then why did he insist on inviting him? Perhaps so that he could not complain to God that the elder did not want to help him. Some, God knows if someone's going to take, the, take the, his invitation or not. But so that that person, when he dies, doesn't stand in front of God and say, you never gave me the chance. God gives chances to people, to everyone, and it's up to, the, up to those people whether they want to take the chance or not. But he does give opportunities even to those who he knows, because God knows the future, that they're going to reject so that there will be no excuse on the last day that that person was not given the chance. So that person can say, oh, well, you never sent anyone to me. No priest ever spoke to me or no one told me. And that's why the elder did what he did. But anyway, but also he says, perhaps so that when he realises his mistake, he only turns against himself in order to become humble, repent and apologise to the elder who knew, who now receives visits in his heavenly in, in, in heaven. So in other words there, the person has a chance, even in the future, to ask forgiveness that he did wrong, that he, that he should have not rejected the elder. I took a lady to him for confession, a person says. One of her breasts had been removed, but she was now spiritually unwell. As she entered, the elder picked up his jacket, wrapped himself up and left for the forest. So this woman who had obviously you know, some cancer probably and her breast was removed, came there but she was also spiritually not well. So that, that's okay, that's why people went to the elder. What's more praiseworthy when you're physically unwell is when you go to get help when you're spiritually unwell. That's, that's important you're for your soul. Body as well, but especially for the soul. And... But the elder, as soon as he saw her, picked up his jacket and left, went to the forest. The lady turned to me and said, why did he leave? Where did he go? Why did he leave me? Wait here, I told her. He'll return. He told me that he had gone to pray. The elder had gone to pray. When he returned, he said about this woman, next to that woman's spiritual problems, her cancer's nothing. See, but we're the opposite. The worst thing is cancer. As the Greeks say, the exop of all, don't talk about it, or that word. It's just like the cancer is the, is, the, is the taboo word. Maybe Russians do the same. Maybe Serbians. You don't mention the word cancer because it's like a superstition. If you say it, then it will come to the house and other stupidities. But the elders said her cancer is nothing compared to the spiritual sickness that she's got in her. 
She is seriously ill spiritually. Uh, he said, she is not one of those people that we can possibly help. She did not return, of course, and she also died. That's an example that I was trying to say to you that we read a lot of things about all these people that got help, that were, that were helped by the elder. But here's some examples of the person before who, because someone said something bad, he believed it, so he didn't go and get help from the elder, even though the elder rang him three or four times. Now there's another example of a person who went to the elder, but her spiritual sickness, which comes from, usually why are we spiritually sick? What's the main thing that makes us spiritual sick? Sin, but we all sin, but pride. Sin, yes, we fall, St. John Christum says. It's human to fall. It's demonic not to repent. It's human to fall. We all fall. But what's demonic is when we don't repent. So sin is available which can make us repent and bring us close to God. Some great ascetics of the desert were permitted to fall due to whatever reason. Maybe they, were, they got proud a bit. Maybe they had um, whatever. God allowed it for some reasons. And some of them fell into some very serious sins but later on they repented and became even more spiritual than what they were before they fell because they learned humility. So sin does cut us off from God, but we have this free thing that God gives us. It's called repentance and reconciliation through confession through an orthodox priest. And it's for free because when Christ died on the cross, his sacrifice is for free. His blood, it's, it says that his blood washes away all the sins so that's not the problem. It's there. It's for free. It's open for everyone. What's the problem which obstructs God's mercy is our pride. And it's our pride which makes us to become spiritually sick to the point that we become inaccessible to God's grace. And horrible is that. When we get to the stage, myself or yourself, anyone, gets to the stage where we make ourselves, because of our pride and ego, inaccessible to God's grace, that's the worst. That is the worst of them all. Years ago I did a talk when I was younger. It was called uh, the, the Worst Cancer Pride. And in that talk, I think, if I remember right, it was years ago, 20 years ago, I think, I said that, um, that cancer should be low low on, the, on our fears. That shouldn't be what we feared too much because a lot of people who, have, who get cancer are saved. That's God's gift a lot of times. AIDS is a way. People say, oh, it's a punishment from God. It's a punishment from God. A lot of spiritual people say, no, it's more of a blessing because people who obtain that, even if they obtained it through sexual ways of whatever, a lot of those people repent. And the same with cancer. So that's not the issue. The issue is pride. This next story, so that's a person who didn't get help and not that second person didn't get help. Third person. The elder explained, a lady once came and said, I want you to confirm that these following five things I wish for me and my children will actually happen. 
the audacity. So this woman comes and says to the elder, I want you to make sure that these following five things are going to happen to me. I told her that I could not make such a confirmation and that on her last visit, I explained what she had to do as a Christian so that she could have some hope of having what she wished for come true. Just reminds me, once I received an email of a person who was in the church for years, I found out from someone, the person wrote a letter and says, um, I'm, I'm, my child has to go to school and I don't know whether to send it to Catholic school or public school and I want to know what to do, full stop, regards, regards, right? As if I'm, I don't know, from the council or something and I'm going, and I'm, I'm, it's a business letter, regards. No, your blessing, no, please, no, it would be if you please could help me, you know, I would be appreciative, nothing. It was like, I'm thinking it was like bang, 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 regards. If it was someone who was new to the church, different, I would answer them and slowly, slowly I would help. But this person's been in the church, from what I heard, for a number of years. I answered back and said, firstly, your introduction was wrong. You didn't even ask a priest for a blessing. That's not right. Secondly, you were demanding. Thirdly, you didn't even ask in a proper way, whatever, and at the end, you sign off in a secular way when you're addressing the priest, I said, I, I can't help you. Full stop. Goodbye. Now, some of you might say, oh, that's not nice. Yeah, it's not nice for people who don't know, but for people who know, it's nice. See, look at Christ in the gospel. When someone was sinful, how he was different. When someone was, a, when the woman that had the five husbands, whatever she had there, um, how he was, how he treated her, not harsh at all. Or even the pagans he wasn't harsh to. Even when he was standing just before his crucifixion, how he even spoke to the pagans, he, even to um, Pilate, where he, he, still in a way he was gentle because he was a pagan. He wasn't a Jew. He was a pagan. Didn't know much. See the difference? But we like to be harsh with the heretics because, or with people that don't believe. But Christ was not. So when you read the Gospels closely and you read the elders, you'll see similarities. And what's the similarity is that, that for people who don't know, Christ was different. For people who were sinful but not stubborn in their sin, he was different. Very loving he would go and eat with them, etc., etc. But when did he react, even though he was God? When did he react? One was when he went into the temple and saw them selling stuff in there and made the church into like a business, and he went in there with the whip, not whipping people, but he was shown anger, a righteous anger, against the wrong thing that's been practised. The church is a place... Um, of worship, not a business place where they had all their pigeons there and all these things and exchanging money, and he turned the tables over. But who are those people? Roman soldiers? No. Who were those people? Were they um, uh, people who were committing fornication? No. Were they homosexuals? No. Were they drug addicts? No. Were they alcoholics? No. Who were those people? They were church people.
what we say, like in those. They were the Jews of that time who were serving the temple of the true God. When he spoke to the Pharisees, how did he speak to them? Where? Meaning, woe to you, you hypocrites that look like you're white from the outside, but inside you're full of dead bones, like a, like a, a tomb. And he said, and he said, and he said, and he said, and he put them down, put them down, put them down. That's the difference. This is what I was trying to say in the first part of the talk, which is look at the way God refers to, because Christ is God, look at the way he refers to those who should know, those who should know better, those who are supposedly have the true faith, as did the Jews in those days, and how he spoke to them and how he spoke to the pagans and how he spoke to the sinful and how he spoke to everyone else, but not to them. So what I'm trying to say here is that we, as Orthodox Christians, we should look at and see, are we similar to those people of those days? Yes, we have the truth. But how are, we, how are we accepting that truth? How do we live? Do we live by that truth? And that's why Orthodox Christians haven't got time to talk about whether someone's Catholic or someone's a Buddhist or someone's a Muslim and all these other things. No, it doesn't. It, what does it matter? Christ treats them differently. So someone would say, oh, are you saying that Christ is more strict with the Orthodox? Yes, that's correct. He is more strict with the Orthodox because the Orthodox have the truth. And as St. Nikolai Velimirovich says in his prologue, a Serbian great hierarch saint, he says that the worst are not pagans, not the heretics, the, or the heretics of those outside the church. The worst are Orthodox Christians who know the truth and apostatize. Those who don't do God's law, they are the worst. And... It's the heretics, when I say heretics, and, and even worse are those Orthodox Christians, especially hierarchs or priests or monks or, uh, or Orthodox Christians, who know the truth of the dogmas and teach Orthodox Christians the wrong things by saying that the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church is like a lung. You've got the left lung and the right lung. Both need to function together to be a church. In other words, they're trying to say that the Catholic Church and the, and the, and the Orthodox Church is like a lung and they both need each other to be the church. But that's not correct. The Orthodox Church is the church. Not others. That's what's called ecumenism. Now, those people who teach those things are the worst of the worst. However, how do the elders look at those people? What do we do? Do we run away and go and set up shop somewhere else? What we do is that those people especially need prayers and we need to be careful of them not to be influenced by these wrong teachings. That's what God looks at. The, the, the one who gives the word the most will be the bishops, the ones who give word the next are the priests. After that are also Orthodox Christians. So, read the Gospels. I love that when we, when we read the 12 Gospels during uh, the Holy Thursday night 
and on Good Friday, all those references. And I just I note that and say, look at the way Christ refers to the pagans. Look at the way he speaks to those. But not he doesn't speak like that when he when he speaks to the high priests, the Pharisees, and the scribes, who were the true believers of the time, who should have known the law, and they should have even known that he was the Messiah because their books, the books of the Old Testament, are full of references to him being the Messiah. So this, um, I just mentioned that about the rude person that wrote the email to show you that sometimes we need that. I'm, I Personally, for me, same thing. People who know, I'm strict. People who don't know, I'm less. Person that's new, got to be very careful because they don't know much. You don't just go on them and say, uh, why are you going here? Why are you doing this? And do you this? Do you this? You, know, you don't do that. But a person that's been in the church for years and think that they're spiritual and can't even admit their mistake, for them, you crush them down sometimes when necessary, praying for their soul, but sometimes they need a bit of, um, a bit of um, strictness because their souls are in danger. When you, if you are going to put them and, and like apply pressure to them, you apply it out of love because you're scared for their souls that they're going to lose their souls. Nothing is worse than an egotistical orthodox Christian. Nothing. Not even the Pope of Rome can be as bad as an egotistical orthodox Christian or a, a hierarch or a priest who teaches heresy and is, and is distorting the truth. So I told her that I could not make such a confirmation and that on her last visit that he explained to her what she should do as an orthodox Christian so that she could have some hope of having what she wished for come true. He goes, if you do the following, then yes, there's some hope that you will get what those five things that you want. She insisted on her own things without wanting to grasp what I was telling her. In the meantime, uh, time was passing by and lots of people were outside waiting and the elder couldn't get rid of her. She just sat there. I want you to promise those five things to me, but the elder couldn't do that which is a good example that when we're pressured, we shouldn't give in to pressure. Elder, I said, interrupting, annoyed on my own account, this, this person that's writing, he says, why didn't you throw her out and keep your peace and quiet? Then the elder said, she wouldn't leave my child. Uh, do you understand? Look, she caught hold of the leg of my bed and says to me, I won't leave until you tell me that all those things that I want to happen will come true. In other words, she'd gone crazy. So she held onto the bed that he was lying on and she wouldn't, and she wouldn't budge. These people are very tiring and, you know, and... That's why we think, oh, the elder was, was, was magnified and he, everyone loved him, this and that. Look at this. This would have terrorised him to some extent, I think, anyway. It would have terrorised me. What could I do? I, I, I couldn't force her. Then I thought about it and I said to her, oh, you blessed thing, what do you want from me? She replied, tell me if the first thing that, that, I, that I want will happen. He says, it will happen. He go, then she says, how about the second thing that I want? He goes, that will happen too. And the third, the fourth, and the fifth thing goes, they, they also will happen. They will happen. 
Then the lady jumped up with joy, thanked me, and she left. But as soon as she reached the door, I called out to her loudly. All those things will happen if you do all the things I told you to do like a good Christian. Right? <laughs> so, she, she, all she was interested in is what she wanted to hear. That she's going to get those things. And because the elders got special gifts, that, that means she's going to get them. So people go to elders and priests and spiritual fathers for, for easy things, to get things that they want. Not for spiritual reasons. But the lady made out that she didn't hear it. She did not put anything I told her into practice, the advice that he told her, and not one of those things that she asked for happened. Following this, she turned around and told the people who knew her that I had told her one thing and another thing had occurred. What can one say? So in other words, she started slandering the other and goes, oh, he told me this is going to happen and that didn't happen, etc., etc. started putting him down. So that's actually interesting. I was amazed by the elders' inventiveness according to divine enlightenment, whereby, this person now saying, he was freed from the lady's um, thoughtless pressure, while at the same time giving her the spiritual message that she could heed, listen to. At first I laughed at the turn of the incident, but then at the end I was sad at, the, at its result. It showed, listen to this, some people try using the elder to do their own will. Whereas it is in their interest to do just the opposite, to do the will of the elder and not their own. So that's, people do use that, they call users. They go to priests or go to elders and say to them, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want that. And when the priest tries to set them to live a spiritual life, they're not interested. She insistently asked for her wishes to come true with complete indifference. She didn't care at all at the spiritual preconditions which the elders said. In other words, the elders said, okay, you may get those things. I'm not saying you're going to get them 100%, but you may get them. You've got a chance of getting them if you do what I tell you to do spiritually. But she didn't, wasn't interested. The vigil of St. Nicholas, where he was, a little further on, um, the elder was talking in a low voice to an elderly lady. So after a vigil had ended... He was talking to a lady, and it seems that the lady was having difficulty in accepting everything that the elder had been telling her for, for so long. So the elder was trying to tell her something, but she wouldn't listen. Then at one point, his voice was raised, and he could clearly, and he could clearly be heard saying, this is what the elder said, listen to what I'm telling you. That's the way things are as I'm telling you. Having been a spiritual father for so many years... I have experience of people, that's what he said, in a loud voice. That's what I'm trying to say to you, that, and, and we, don't, we read that in Elder Paisius as well, and other elders, whether Russian or Serbian, sometimes they were very loving and sometimes they were strict but still loving. Sometimes they would tell the person to even go, but even that was out of love. In this case, the question which is going to be asked with the gifts he had received, the elder could have surprised the lady and said some special secret of hers. However, instead of gaining her trust like that, he preferred to use the time-consuming method of convincing her by reason. In other words, he could have used that, that way, where he could have said to her some secret and said, see, God 
enlighten me to say that. Now you should listen to me. But he didn't do that. He didn't use that gift all the time. To some people, he would just speak to them. For some people, he just prayed for them only. In this case, he just tried to convince her through his words. He knows the reason why as a grace-filled spiritual father. That's why when people go to spiritual fathers or elders, etc., they shouldn't compare notes and say, what did he tell you? Oh, he told me that. Oh, he didn't tell me that. He told me that. You know, those things are very bad and it confuses people. God enlightens the spiritual father according to the faith of the person and according to each person's circumstances. Everyone's different. Not every, not, the elder doesn't give standard answers. When a visitor did not accept the elder's first piece of advice, he took it back and gave them a second piece of advice, which was easier. However, the first piece was always spiritually better. So, a lot of times when we go to spiritual fathers and we ask something and then the spiritual father might say, do this, this and this. And then we go, oh, it's too hard or I can't do this or I can't do that. So then the spiritual father changes it a bit and makes it a bit easier. But the first bit of advice would have been the best. And the second bit of advice may still be okay, but not as good as the first bit of advice. And that does happen a lot of times where we feel that it's too hard or too difficult, etc., and we miss out on receiving full uh, benefit. He advised the young girl who had made a suicide attempt to change the company she kept as a necessity because it was influenced in her negative way. So a young girl who made an attempt to commit suicide, the elder said, it's your friends. It's to do with your friends. Cut off from your friends. Instead, she could keep company with Christian young girls of her choice. She could have pleasant discussions with them. They could go on trips together, visit churches, attend services there. Indeed, he saw to it that a fine young woman who visited him regularly could take the first step in making contact. He even organised for this girl who tried to commit suicide that another spiritual child of his... He made them friends and said, why don't you become friends? And then they became friends. And he, the elder, didn't just say, oh, you need to have spiritual friends. He even organised somehow to give her a spiritual friend that they can be together instead of hanging around with people who were making her have problems to the point that she wanted to commit suicide. Are there any questions so far? I'm nearly finished. I think this is going to be... Any questions? One day, um, he said to me, the elder said to this person, some people come to me and I see their soul in ruins, but they are not aware of their own condition and so they ask for other things from me. They tell me about other problems of theirs, but they don't understand. So, this is a fact, that a lot of people unaware of their own spiritual crisis, that they've got spiritual problems, and they go to elders and ask, or spiritual fathers, and ask for other things without knowing that those things that they're asking for aren't important. What's important is the problems that they've got, but they don't, um, they don't see that. I tell them about it, but they don't understand, says the elder. They do not pay attention to what, I'm, what I tell them because their mind is fixed on their problems, on their own will. See what I'm saying by the disposition of the person? A person that goes to a spiritual father 
A person who goes to an elder, they should have a willingness to listen to the advice of what they're told. But today, that doesn't happen. People aren't interested in that. People are preoccupied with them with themselves. They want it their way. There's a book there called Councils, I think, of Old Epiphanius, where a woman and her daughter came to him and said that the woman fell pregnant with someone and that, um, uh, that she couldn't get married to that person because he wasn't their level and things like that. And basically, within the confession, this person was trying to get the elder to agree for her to have an abortion. And as soon as the elder heard that, he stood up abruptly, took off his petrohili, and says, that's it, stop. No. You're not going to make me participate in such things. And that's what happens a lot in confession, that people come and try, like the, the, this person once said to me, um, I want to have a rock band. So the person came for advice and then says to me, I want to, ha I want to have a rock band. And, I, and then I kind of thought, did I hear rock? I wasn't sure what I heard, but I let it go because I didn't know who this person was, new person. I let the person go and he went on and on and on and on until I got a better picture. And then later on at the end I said, did you say rock band? Because I didn't quite. He goes, yeah, I want to have a rock band. I go, okay, well, um, how can that be when, rock, when that stuff is satanic? How, how do you do that? How can you be an Orthodox Christian and do that at the same time? He goes, but I want to leave a name for myself. I want to become famous. Is that bad? He said to me, is that bad? I go, yes. Simple. Yes, it is. And that's what happens to a lot of young people today because they watch a lot of TV and watch people become famous and they want to become famous, which only causes in them mental illnesses because a lot of times they've got nothing to become famous with. And why do you want to become famous? Oh, the saints were famous. The saints didn't do what they did to become famous. They became famous as a consequence of that because God allowed that to happen. It's like me now. If I came along here and then doing talks because in my mind or in my heart I have a thing that I want to be famous, then my talks would be dry as and you would pick it up straight away that I'm only here for my own ego and not for you. You don't do things to become famous. So the person was completely off the mark. So that's, and that's what people do. They go to, and he wanted me to say to him, a rock band, that's really wonderful. I will bless that. Yes, you can do the rock band. And if oh, I feel so overwhelmed, that's what he wanted me to say to him. I said, no, that's not right. So I let him go in the beginning. Why? Because you don't want to disrupt the person as they're speaking and disturb them. And then later on, you've got to get a picture of what's going on. And then as the elder advised, as we read, as we heard in the talk up there, talk 920 or something on the spiritual father, where he says, and at the end, try to say something. But you can't tell a person, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad, all the time. But that needed to be said. 
And that's what spiritual fathers I've heard, and a lot of them do the same thing. And a lot of them complain about the same thing, where people come to them and try to force the spiritual father to agree with their sins. And a spiritual father which agrees with the sins of those that come to him will give word. And St. Cosmas, the Greek saint, said that if I don't tell you the truth, then God will put me in hell. That's what St. Cosmas says if you read his book. So that's, that, that's, and that's the truth. As spiritual fathers, we have to say the truth. So why don't a lot of times spiritual fathers say the truth? Do you know? We don't live in a time of atheism. We don't live in a time of, like, um, uh, persecutions as such. Why don't they say the truth a lot of times? Or why are they sometimes reluctant to tell a person what they're doing is wrong? Not to lose them. Uh, yes, but if we read Elder Porfirius, he does say, then at the end, always try to kind of say to the person that they leave. Because if, if, you, if a person comes to confession and says they want to do a rock band, for example, and then you let the person go, then that person's going to say, that priest didn't say anything, which means it must be okay. So in a nice way, you must say it. But a lot of times they don't say it. Why? I'll give you an example um, I once, once a, a years ago, a fellow came to me, and the person was um, a young fellow, say about 19, and I gave him two bits of advice. One, to keep his virginity for marriage. Orthodox people don't say that much. Protestant, Protestants do, that's okay. The one that advertises Pepsi can say it. And now there's these new boys, what they're called, Jonah Brothers, Jonas Brothers, I don't know what they're called, but that some boys or something that they have, the Jonas Brothers, that have rings and they, purity rings, and they publish, publicly say that they're going to keep themselves, or they must be Protestants, I don't know what they are, but yet they're still famous and still selling records, but that's okay. But go to an Orthodox church and to hear a priest say for the young people to hold themselves would you hear it? I don't know. Have you heard it? I, from what I've heard, people say to me, they don't hear it. Or they might make a thing they, where they make a reference to it and say purity. No, not purity. In words. In words. That, we, that, that God wants a person to be a virgin when they get married. But they don't say anything because in their mind, some people believe that all of a sudden there's going to be a stampede and all the people are going to run out. Just like now. See everyone's running out? No one's running out. And that's what's happening today and that's why the Orthodox priests don't have a right to go against homosexuality. What does that mean? Ooh, that lady there, her face dropped. Her face dropped because she said, she said to herself, what's he saying? Maybe he's pro-gay. Maybe he's a modernist in disguise. I mean that. Orthodox priests don't have a right to go against uh, those things. Do you want to know why? I'll tell you why. Because for many years they never spoke about Adultery, 
They never spoke about fornication in church. Very rare. They never spoke about hardly any of those things about uh, virginity. Then all of a sudden now they're speaking against homosexuality. That makes those people say, you're a hypocrite because how about everything else that's going on? Child molesting, like the Catholic Church. They cover up a lot of child molest, uh, molestation cases. And all of a sudden they're going to come out and say that you, shouldn't, that you shouldn't use condoms or you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that, etc., etc. And people say, oh, forget it. When, when we teach morality, when the priest teaches morality, he has to teach all aspects of it. God blesses only one type of sexual contact between a man and a woman within marriage. That's it. Once you've defined that, once you've emphasised that, then you, it's easy to talk about everything else. A man that wants to go with another woman or a woman wants to go with another man, which is adultery, or young people who want to fornicate outside of marriage, or two men together, whatever. It makes sense. It's easy then. See, it's not hard for me because I, I've been discussing these things for years. I've got no problems with that. So if someone comes along and says, oh, you're, you hate gays or you're prejudiced, I go, no, 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 no. What I teach is what the church teaches. Sexual contact is between a man and a woman within marriage, full stop, that's it. So when no one says anything about everything else and, and there's all these young people in church and the priest is not saying anything about, about um, fornication and sexual intercourse, etc., and says nothing, then all of a sudden he, st- he speaks about, uh, oh, gay unions and this is bad and this is the Antichrist and the Antichrist is coming and all this type of stuff. Then people are going to say, well, what is going on? And even the gays themselves get upset because they look like they're being victimised. And in a way, that's what it looks like. It's, vict- it's like victims, like, oh, you speak about nothing else, but then all of a sudden this is a bad thing. See, it's very hard to talk about those things unless you completely say what is the truth about orthodox morality, what is the correct thing. That's what I meant. Do you understand that now? I'm not pro uh, What I am is I'm against what can appear that the church is. And that's why these gay groups, they hate the church because they believe they're being victimised. And in a way... In, in a way, they are correct because for many years a lot of people never spoke about everything else. And all of a sudden now they've become, all of a sudden the church is coming out and being Mr. Pure or Mrs. Pure or whatever, want to choose, whatever they want to say about themselves. It doesn't go. That's why I don't just talk about them because that's what it appears like. It looks like you're victimising. We speak about what is blessed by God. Unity is between a man and a woman. That's it. A man that's married stays with his wife. A woman that's married stays with their husband. You don't allow a third, or in, in a lot of cases today, a fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth person to come in. Young people who are growing up to preserve themselves. Looking at the examples of the saints that kept themselves, etc. If a fall happens, obviously God forgives, but 
as I read in St. Nicodemus the other day, which I was quite shocked, St. Nicodemus, Nicodemus says, God forgives a person when they fall. doesn't matter what they do, they, they, they're forgiven. However, he says, when you get a knife and you cut yourself, after a while it will heal. But there's always a scar there. There's always that, that, that mark that's there of where the cut was. The same as the soul. When the soul falls, especially into sexual sin, St. Nicodemus says, yes, God forgives the person, but the scars from that fall because it involved the body will never go away and that person will always have those scars in them as a reminder of what they've done. They are forgiven by God, but the effect of the sin doesn't necessarily go. And we'll do more on that at a later time. So, so that they won't, so they wouldn't leave without be benefit. And I was sometimes obliged to use the gift that God gave me. I would reveal some secrets about themselves to them, about their relatives, their village, and other such things. So they could not, so they would marvel. Then I would win their attention, so they would would listen to what I was telling them, and in the interest of their soul. Some people listened to what the elder said carefully, some only slightly, others didn't listen at all. Whoever appreciated this in time opened their ears and closed their mouths and listened to his words very carefully. Then they left his cell filled with enthusiasm, thanking the elder and giving glory to God because they went asking ten presents and left with thousands of presents, in other words, gifts. They thought, I'm going to go to the elder for such and such a thing. But at the end, they received more than what they went for as long as they went with the correct spirit. With his typical simplicity and directness of speech, the elder was in the habit of giving the following advice to the visitor. Do not be upset with the problems you told me about. Don't keep going around and around them. Don't think about the problem all the time in circles. Free yourself from them. Move ahead, giving all your attention and labour to how you'll be worthy of Christ's love. This by knowing his commandments and keeping them. By occupying yourself with Christ's commandments, you will see that your problems will be solved on their own. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and all the rest will come. You'll see that you've entered the paradise of the uncredited church of Christ, which starts from here. In other words, the elder saying, don't keep on going on and on and thinking about your problems. Seek Christ, do your spiritual life, which is what I said in the talks 11, 12, 13, and 14 on marriage. Do your spiritual life. Don't worry about who you're going to marry you know, if you're young or even if you're ready to get married. Same thing. Don't become preoccupied just with who am I going to marry, etc., etc. Seek Christ, and within that seeking, seek, ask God to help you. But you don't have to become disturbed about it. You don't have to become preoccupied because that was, that's what creates a lot of mental problems. That's it. George. Yeah. Um, you said that the older told the to listen to music. Are you going to that? Yes, I was, which I had this next one in, and unfortunately I didn't get to it. So I'm going to do it next time. But um, if I start speaking now, 
people's stomachs are going to rumble and people won't be able to hear me because it'll be... Get, so we'll wait until next time and I will explain it, but thanks for reminding me. No, that's coming up. There's things about, um, um, yeah, about the music and things like that and it's a good question, but not now because I won't, I won't stop. Yes, Nicole, question? Nothing. You must have a question. Okay, I'll come back to you, yes? Hel um, Valentina, yes? Yes, so your, your question, which is a good question, is from what I said, it's as if the elder is saying that you shouldn't have anything stressful and we know that stressful situations can make us stronger and we have to learn to deal with them, such as if to say you've got to avoid and run away from every single stressful situation. Life has enough stress in it. Spiritual life has enough stress in it. What the elders talking about is added stress that we are putting in ourselves to the point that we could break ourselves. We already have. Going to university is a stress. What are you going to do? You're not going to go. Sometimes, for some people, I would advise don't go if at that stage of their life. But in general, going to work is a stress. Driving to the city is a bigger stress, right? People going to school is a stress. One of the biggest stresses in life is just being married. That's very, very stressful. Bringing up children is stressful. We've got plenty of things to exercise in developing our stress skills, of coping with stress. But what, I, what they're saying is don't create more stress. Like if you say you're going to university and you're studying, like you're, like you're studying, right? And then you go into university and then you're finding it really, really uh, stressful. Okay, try to cope with that. But at the same time, right, you don't go and say um, to, um, to, you know, you don't say to yourself, oh, why don't I go and do some other interests? Why don't I go to tech and learn some other skills and go and do another course? Some people do that and another course. Then they go to other things and then other things and other things. At the end, they just collapse. So you've got to use your mind. Don't put stress like that bathroom situation. Why, or some people put stress, for example, they say, oh, we've got three children, why can't each child have its own room and toilet? So why don't we build the house, make it bigger, or buy another house? So what they do is both people are working, they go to the bank, and they go, okay, you've got two wages, so you know you can, we can give you a loan and you can go buy a better house because we want each child to have their own room and toilet and bathroom and shower, etc., and built-in cupboards and all those things, and a little, you know, what do you call those, uh, um, bubble baths, and I don't know what else they've got now in the houses, right? And a games room, that's nice too, isn't it? So why can't we give our things, to, give all these things to the, to the children? So then what happens then is that, what happens if the woman gets pregnant? One wage is gone. What, what does she do? She goes to work with a stomach like that, right? And loses the baby. Or she can't work. What happens then? 
or what happens if there's a financial crisis and our loans are really high? Oh, that's right, that's already happened. How many people have lost their houses? In, I, I saw a special on, in America that people that had beautiful houses in Las Vegas, beautiful houses, um, and all, 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 all around, mansions are living in tents in the city, in tents, right? So what happened there? Well, they thought that they're going to be kingpins forever on financially, like they actually thought that they're going to have all their stocks or their money or their investments. And a lot of people say to me, I've got equity, I've got equity, and I've got this and I've got that and I can learn. I've got, I've got $5 million of properties. But now they haven't got anything, you see, because we put stress on ourselves. Why does a child have to have a room each? What's wrong if three children sleep in one room a lot of times? And wait till you're financially better off and not put yourself into 90% or 95% mortgages on your, on your houses. People were brought up in rooms. Actually, kids that are brought up in the same room actually mentally are better. The ones that are in their own room, it's like, don't touch, don't do this, don't do that. Like they look like, like they're cracked. They've actually got problems. Don't touch my dick, don't touch that, don't do this, don't do that. Like they actually form things. Why? Because we wanted to do that. Financial, that, that causes stress. Who asked the question? Valentina, was it? This financial crisis was because people put on themselves more than they could do. My father used to say in the old days, don't live beyond your means. It's an old-fashioned word. That doesn't exist now. Now you've got to live beyond your means. You've got your credit card, you do. You've got your loans on your property. Before the Greeks, or maybe probably Russians too, when they used to buy property, Serbians, they used to put money, money, money to, 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 to pay it off. Now what you do is you make a credit card attached to your loan, so when you go to the shop, they take the money off your credit card, which comes off your loan because it's a nice, like a low rate. Instead of paying 15% on a credit card, why don't you pay 6 and 7 which it was in the old days, 8% on your loan? So people used to just borrow, borrow, borrow off their loan and just do whatever they want. They went crazy. They wanted a boat, they bought a boat. They wanted a, a new car, they bought a car, a credit card. And therefore, you know, where the, the old-fashioned people used to try and get their loans down to get rid of the loans, people today don't do that. They put their loans up. And when they pass 10,000, they go, oh, we've got 10,000 redraw. What can we go and buy now? Oh, we don't really need anything, but we'll buy it anyway. So they go and buy it and put more loans and more loans and more loans. So that's what happened. This is a, the problem. And that's why these people lost everything. It's a sin to live like that. So all these are stressful. Extensions, these things, we're in our wrong times. I've got to do, we have to do an extension. The back part of where we, where we stay, like the little monster that we have there, the back part is all rotten. It's old. It needs to be knocked down. It has to be done because it's actually not very healthy. Mould and things like that. I can't do that at this time because it's connected to the kitchen and if we do that, where are we going to eat? Where are we going to go? What's going to happen? See? So I leave it until God shows when it's time for me to do that job. I'm not going to put pressure because if I put pressure on myself and the others then later on we could lose our whole monastic life, lose everything. That's how you should think as well. Any other questions? Elisa.
conversations, in marriage, and other things about encouraging children, all the things about even I know people in church they go to people um for advice. Um they experience those things like buying a house, raising kids, and go to a number of different people. And because most people are educated, you sit down and you through, okay, um, this is how I'm going to do it. You're not not set in stone, but have your own way. Even though a person has that way and thinks they've got it right, um, from what I was getting from you, even though we get should we still go to the elder or a spiritual father to see what they think? And their will isn't that the right So the question is, oh, it's a long question. Sorry. Um, that's okay. No, no. I'm just trying to. The spirit, yeah. When we need to do something, should we go to a spiritual father or an elder to ask? Well, an elder obviously has the gifts of God. And if. When God sees humility, in other words, when, when a person wants to do some big decision and they've got humility and they want to know whether this is the right time, this is what is the proper thing to do, and they're asking in humility and they go to a spiritual father uh, who prays, because some don't, so what's the point? A spiritual father who prays or an elder if they exist, if, if we can do that. And we have faith, but we're leaving our hearts completely open to what's God's will, not we're going with our hearts saying, I'm going to ask him, I really hope he says that for me to do that. That's wrong. Our hearts should be open such that we really are looking for God's will. And, and if it's not good for us, then we will accept that. Then, yes, I believe that God could enlighten the spiritual father and the, uh, uh, to tell us and to think, because sometimes I just get this feeling, I mean, as I said, I'm... I'm full of passion. I don't have these gifts. But even myself, as a limited person, when people come up and ask, and I've heard this from so many priests, they say, when someone comes up with faith and asks for something, and a lot of times you don't know the answer, obviously, how do you know all the circumstances, but sometimes you just get a certain feeling which says, don't do that because it's not going to work out well. Something's not right. Now, uh, that's if the spiritual father is trusting in God's enlightenment. And you, a person going, is trusting in God's enlightenment to know. Then, yes, if you're doing that for spiritual reasons, because if you make the wrong decisions, you could lose your marriage. You could lose your children. Put a lot of pressure. Could be anything. It could be um, a lot of decisions, even the wrong job decisions. Should I leave that job and go to another job? You might find that you go to another job and at the end you get a redundancy. Didn't even think that, well, the other job you're better off. Yes, you're getting $1,000 less. The other job was $1,000 more, but at the end now you've got no job. How are you going to pay your loan? See, all these things, you've got to think about that. We always should be asking God to help us in all our decisions in our life, as long as, as we wrote at the back of the icon that I gave you last week, last month, which those who weren't here can get it, I can get one where it says, um, uh, we tempt God when we ask something from him while our life is far removed from him and not according to his will. 
So if we are trying to lead a spiritual life, if we are trying to do the commandments of God and at the same time asking for God's enlightenment for the good of our children, for the good of our souls, yes, bad decisions can affect us spiritually, can cause a lot of damage, and we are in need of God's enlightenment. And God especially loves a person who goes to someone else and asks that person because that's showing that that person has humility and God blesses humility infinitely. Whatever is humble, God uh, blesses. That's it. Okay, there's no other questions. Thank you for your, um, that the attention was good, the disruptions were minimal, and um, I hope that this talk helps you. And in two weeks' time, we are going to have, as we said here, because of the financial crisis and jobs and Oh, so much stress. I thought to myself, well, I don't just talk about it. We like to put these into action. And so I decided to do a meleben, um, a paraclesis, which is fully sung in English, and, a, and, a, and an akathis in English for St. Ksenia, the fool for Christ, which we said this last time, which is um, helpful. Not only for those, it's also helpful for children and addictions, alcohol, drugs, mental health problems, marital problems, financial problems, housing problems, job problems, helping, you know, children and finding a spouse, etc., etc. So we have to learn to pray to our saints that are there given by God. If God sees our humility, then God will help us 100%. On that day, there will not be a talk like this. There will be a little talk within the church. And then we will come in here and we'll still have the book stand because people like buying stuff and we're going to have something to eat. And that way we'll give you people more chance to socialise a bit with people of the same mind. But also a lot of times you want to ask questions and after these type of talks I'm quite out of it or it's late and you've got to leave. On that day you can ask more questions to me personally if you like and things like that. So that's in two Sundays time. And then the next talk, which is a nice topic, which I was quite happy when I thought of it. I got someone to help me put it together. Elders versus religious intellectuals, whom to follow. Do you like that one? So that one there is actually a, a, a good... I, I touched on it today. That's the talk which will be on the 12th of July. So that's the two things coming up. Also, for those that are interested, it might be hard for some of you because it's late. The, the, the monastery at Kentland, the convent, is having a vigil for St. John, Archbishop of Shanghai and San Francisco, and that's on the 3rd of July, and that starts at around 9 o'clock in the night and finishes at 3.30 in the morning. And I think it's a Friday night, so there's no work, but, you know, say, for example, you want to go, I want to go to that, but your husband says, I don't want you to go, or... Your wife might say, I don't want you to go, or whatever, whatever, whatever. Sometimes you don't cause friction. So we don't go because it's religious and we say, oh, we can do whatever we want. That just causes problems. So, you know, you've got to pray and make the other person allow. If not, stay home. Because what's the point in coming to a vigil, to St. John's vigil, when you just had a fight at home? That doesn't make sense, does it? So that's just something to tell you. You know, it's not the end of the world. 
And as I said, all these things here you, you can take. There's a new pamphlet here which I found for you. It's a timeline of church history. It has a little bit of church history. Some of you don't understand history. That doesn't matter. But there's a certain thing here at the end which I found really impressive. It says, in 1995, in America, Orthodoxy was the fastest growing church. In other words, no church was gaining new members as much as the Orthodox Church. A lot of Protestants were going to the Orthodox Church because of women ordination, etc. And um, a lot of um, ex-priests from other religions were coming to the Orthodox Church. Groups of people coming away. So that's really interesting. 1995, and I believe that's because of the monasteries that they've got in America, especially the monasteries, there's, there's Russian monasteries, that, but especially the 18 monasteries of Elder Ephraim, who, by the way, they say horrible things about him. Just put his name on the internet and you just get everything that, that you can think of. He breaks up families, that he's demonic, that he's deceived, etc. But he's got 18 monasteries. 18 monasteries. And those monasteries do services every day. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes sense. That would explain why in 1995, and probably still is, that more people are coming to orthodoxy than any other religion. It's the prayers of the monastery. And today, do we see many converts in the Orthodox Church in um, Australia? Not much. Why? Hardly any monasteries. Through the prayers of the Holy Fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, the God of mercy, save us. Amen.